Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. You're killing people. No, I'm killing boys. Whether she's a femme fatale or a woman scorned, a man-eater or a wicked stepmother, she's a lady. And we're here to tell you about her. Welcome to the Lady Killers. And welcome to the Lady Killers, a feminine rage podcast. I am your host, Jennifer's Body Adams, and there's something strange going on in my house. The toilet seat has been rattling, the mummies in my Egyptian wing are moving around on their own, and a strange business card keeps turning up in the strangest places. That's strange in two sentences, so you know there's a ghost around. I think the only way to resolve this problem is to call up Michael J. Fox and do an episode on the 1996 film, The Frighteners. But thank goodness I'm not alone. I'm joined by three friends who may or may not be dead and crammed into the trunk of my comical car. (laughs) Sammy. (laughs) Sammy, say hello and tell us what is your favorite Michael J. Fox performance? This is Sammy, Shadow of Death, Kuykendall. And would you believe that before a meeting Mike, I had only seen one singular Michael J. Fox movie? Uh Uh-oh. And that movie was Disney's Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Oh, um, I love that fucking it's movie. It's so good. That it's is really very on brand for you, too. Yes, it is. I know. Like, as I was telling Mike that, he was like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and I will also add that those were, like, two of my first animated crushes. Both my Oh, my God, Creed. Tita. Oh, so good. I just mm. oh, um, love them. They can honestly still get it. But since now I live with a Michael J. Fox super fan, Mike is obsessed with him in every way. I have seen almost all of his filmography. It kind of feels like a cliche to say Back to the Future. I know it is his, I think, best movie and his most iconic performance, but I'm going to go left of the dial here and say either Doc Hollywood or Teen Wolf. I really liked those a lot. Doc Hollywood was really sweet. I actually, I think I cried when we were watching it, which is pathetic. I love Doc Hollywood. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And... What I really like about this performance in this movie is that it's, he's still got, like, the charm of Marty McFly, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's only, like, six years after, which I thought was crazy. I didn't realize, like, he looks crazy. so different. But he's a little more grown up, and he's a little more of a sleazeball in this, so I kind of like that. And his, almost his like, last big screen appearance. Is mm-hmm. it really? Oh, that's so mm-hmm. sad. Oh, God, it makes me so sad. I, was the show that he did around that time, too? I think so. I, sorry, I don't Spin mean to City. interrupt. No, 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 you're <laughs> but fine. Yeah, but, but yeah, apparently he sort of, he, they filmed this in New Zealand and he realized he really hated being away from his family. So he decided, no more big movies for me. <laughs> so Aww. he just does television. He's a family guy. Well, it lives up for it for me. I mean, I love Peter Jackson anyways, but I, I, I love this one. So I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys. Well, and you just heard his voice. Also, I'm realizing I missed an opportunity to say family ties instead of family guy. So (laughs) retroactively correcting that grave mistake. But Rocco, say hello and tell us your favorite Michael J. Fox performance. Hello, everyone. This is Rocco T. Thompson, your feminine rage enthusiast. I first wanted to say, Jen, I think it's funny that you said your toilet seat is rattling because you got the special treatment from the Frighteners because (laughs) they were slacking on the job in Trini Mm -hmm. Alvarado's house. No toilet seat rattle. 
Hey, they bring their A game when they come to my house. Okay. <laughs> so this is so funny. I, I, we, you were just talking about uh, Sammy, how Mike loves Michael J. Fox, and I think I'm too young to really have been grabbed by him. I was born in 1990, so by the time he was done with films, I was six, <laughs> essentially. Mm. And, and you know, everyone loves Back to the Future, of course, but I only saw that the past couple years. Me too. Like, Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> My only memory going back is Doc Hollywood, but I barely remember him. As you all know, I have a fear of breasts. All I can remember (laughs) from that movie is Julie Warner's titties in the lake and being a little scarred as a child by that. So that's that's what I've got. Little Rocco just running (laughs) from the TV. (laughs) I'm as gay as they come. Well, May, say hello and tell us your favorite Michael J. Fox performance. <laughs> Sorry, my cat Kaylee is also saying hello right now. I call that oh, hot dog. She's not just running from titties. No, no, no. I, I think Kaylee's neutral on titties. Uh, okay. She has this little hot dog toy that she carries around in her mouth and yowls when she's carrying it. So, oh, you know. how, she sounds like a progressive cat. She <laughs> This is May. My body is a roadmap of pain, Schultz, which I wish wasn't accurate, but I've had chronic pain for over 20 years. So, and I turned 37 yesterday. So it's just, it's just getting worse. I've always loved Michael J. Fox. I watched Doc Hollywood, Life with Mikey, all the Back to the Future movies so many times as a kid. But my favorite performance, he only has one line as Gandhi's remaining kidney in the first episode of Clone High, where he says, <laughs> I miss him, about the kidney that was removed and donated to Cleopatra to save her life. Hmm. That's the greatest seen, thing I've ever no, heard. No, me neither, yeah. <laughs> I love Clone High so much. It was one of the earliest things that Phil Lord and Chris Miller did. The executive producer is the same guy who created Scrubs, and it's about a high school full of clones of famous historical figures and oh. Abe Lincoln. It's coming voice. back, isn't it? it? It already did. And I tried to watch it and I couldn't even get through the first episode. It just Damn. did not like, feel like the same show anymore. And Gandhi wasn't on it anymore because apparently a lot of people complained about that <laughs> back in the mid 2000s when it was originally on. Well, cause he's a horny little weirdo with ADHD, you know? Oh. So oh. not, <laughs> really who Gandhi was, but we all know some things about Gandhi now that make him not really who we all thought he was anyway. And there are probably some things we don't know about Gandhi too. So This is true. Maybe he was a little weirdo with ADHD. Do you think it would have been a more successful reboot if they brought back Michael J. Fox Kidney? Well, they couldn't do it without Gandhi. (laughs) Unless Gandhi is dead and and his kidney is now in someone else. Oh, it's May, the May, May's like, the way May just looked at me like that was She's the like, most ridiculous I thing I ever could have said when we're talking about a show Come about on, clones <laughs> of famous historical figures. <laughs> well, this is Jen. I'm way older than all of you, Adams. Mm-hmm. And I uh, grew up watching Michael J. Fox. I remember being like five, watching Back to the Future for the first time and loving it. But I think Team Wolf is my favorite of his performances. Like that I movie. I knew you just, were going to say that. I fucking 
fucking love it. It's so He's, fun. It's it, so it really fun. is. And it has the best Halloween vibes too. You know, it's like small town October. I just love it. I have not seen it in many years, so I hope it holds it up. It still holds up. It almost feels okay. like a Disney Channel original movie kind of at times. Which like a I little, was a but fan. a little more risque kind of. <laughs> With an F slur for fun. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it does, it holds up story-wise. It holds up comedy-wise other than that. And like, the relationship that he has with his dad, especially when the reveal comes, is just is sweet. It's so cute every time. He is. I, I was a fan of Spin City also, and I like the American president too, because hmm. I am a Sorkin apologist. <laughs> <laughs> Not politically, just show wise. <laughs> Jen loves a walk and talk. I do love a walk and talk, man. I hey, you guys, you better be careful, or we're going to start doing walk and podcasts, or we'll just all carry our laps. Jen's going to make us all hike. I hey, I do like to hike. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll turn this pot around. Well, let before I make everyone just jump off cliffs. Let's move into our first category, which is actually our second category. I am switching it up just a little bit because I know because we don't actually find out who the killer is till the end. So I figured Mm -hmm. instead of just spoiling the whole fucking thing, although, hey, we're about to spoil this movie. We're going to first go into a category we're calling Her Story. All I ever wanted was a ballerina Barbie in her pretty pink tutu. My birthday. I was 10. And do you know what they got me? Malibu Barbie. So I knew that there was a lady killer in this film because we are covering it, but I didn't know who it would be. I think I'd seen this movie at some point in my life, but I remembered basically nothing about it except the wall moving and Michael J. Fox. So before we introduce our killer, let's tell her story. We begin with a haunted house. On a dark and stormy night, a woman is chased through a crumbling manor filled with CGI evil. I'm sorry, filled with 90s CGI evil because there oh, is a particular a type. Yes. Very important is, yes. distinction. As an old woman screams and shoots the wicked with a shotgun, Dee Wallace is chased through a house where the walls, stairs, and countertops try to attack her. Cut to Michael J. Fox as Frank Bannister, a frighteningly terrible driver and psychic investigator who lurks around funerals like a paranormal ambulance chaser. Meanwhile, Dr. Lucy Linsky visits the haunted house we saw at the beginning of the movie to treat Dee Wallace's wounds. Evil Mother says her daughter never leaves the house and is not to be trusted. She's a cold-blooded murderer, which honestly should have tipped me off, but I was skeptical. (laughs) But it could have been a red herring. It could have been a red herring. We don't know. You know, we may be talking about... (laughs) In what I was hoping would be a microfiche montage, we learned that Fairwater Sanatorium was once the scene of a horrific mass shooting. Twelve people died after Johnny Bartlett, the comically evil gunman played by Jake Busey, was unrepentant and executed for the crime. Patricia Ann Bradley, a.k.a. the evil daughter, was madly in love with him. She was imprisoned but released five years ago and now lives in the evil house. Frank and Lucy cross paths when her husband becomes the victim of his paranormal scams. It seems Frank really can see dead people, and he uses his crew of spirit bros to cause a haunted ruckus in a house that only he can stop for a price. 
While clearing the house of ghosts, Frank notices a glowing number 37 on the forehead of Lucy's beefcake husband. He promptly (laughs) dies of what looks like a heart attack, despite the fact that the guy is practically a walking advertisement for GNC supplements. (laughs) Also, Frank has been exposed. A severe lady newspaper editor has run an edition of the Gazette that names him as a local con man. As he storms away, he's accosted by the ghost of Lucy's husband, and we get some info about the film's ghost lore. Frank encourages Ray to take the corridor, which will take him out of our world and on to the next. Ray does not do this and convinces Frank to take Lucy out on a ghost date where we learn that they were not really a great couple to begin with. In the restaurant bathroom, Frank sees a man with a 38 on his forehead who also dies when a cloaked ghost emerges from the mirror and stops his heart. Frank follows the ghost to a museum benefit where Egyptian artifact hijinks ensue and the writer who (laughs) exposed Frank's scam becomes number 39. Meanwhile, a bizarre FBI agent played by Jeffrey Coombs shows up. His name is Milton Dammers, and he does not like Frank, but he does give us some helpful information about Frank's marriage. Frank was once a long-haired architect, building his dream home when an argument over a basketball court slash garden led to a car crash that caused the death of his wife. She was discovered with a number 13 carved into her forehead, and they never found Frank's signature box cutter. Dammers believes Frank is the murderer. Back to the museum. Frank tries to save the severe lady editor, but he crashes his car in the same place where his wife died, and she becomes number 40. Feeling depressed, Frank gives us a classic third act, I don't need anyone moment, and turns himself (laughs) into the police. (laughs) Investigating on her own, Lucy overhears a voice message at Frank's house and goes to the evil haunted house to save Patricia. Remember her? She claims that she tried to get away from Johnny, but he went crazy. Lucy and the Ghost Bros break Frank out of jail, and he orchestrates an out-of-body experience, a.k.a. the Flatliners plan, to investigate (laughs) beyond the grave. (laughs) But for 20 minutes instead of a minute and a half. Oh, it's so (laughs) long. And I've even seen it before, and I was like, how the fuck is he supposed to survive this? I know. Yeah. it's Well, you know, there's so much about this movie that makes perfect sense, too. So, you know. Yeah. But Uh, still more sense than Gandhi's kidney. That mm-hmm. is that is yes. true. Yes. yes. <laughs> so while while he's flatlining around, he learns that Johnny Bartlett is the murderer and is trying to set the record for the most victims. Lucy returns to the evil house to save Patricia, but while hiding in the closet, she finds Frank's box cutter. Dun dun dun. <laughs> we see Patricia getting all handsy with Ghost Johnny and realize that they are in on the murders together for horniness. Patricia tries to kill Lucy, but Frank shows up in the nick of time. They find Johnny's ashes and try to get them to the chapel of the abandoned hospital to drag him out through the corridor. But Milton shows up and tries to fuck everything up. Thankfully, Patricia kills him. Thanks, Patricia. And that is not ironic. I was ready for that guy to die. <laughs> to go. Yes. Yeah. Frank has another flashback of his wife's death and realizes that Patricia and Johnny were the ones who actually killed her, too. Just before Patricia can kill Lucy, Frank's ghost shows up and saves the day. He drags the killer couple into the corridor, but they get sucked down into hell. It's kind of like Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. In heaven, Frank sees his wife and the ghost bros who tell him it's not his time to die. It's his time to start living and to be happy. He wakes up (laughs) in Lucy's arms. 
In a sweet epilogue, they share a kiss and a picnic as they watch his sad house get demolished. It turns out she can now see ghosts, too. And I just wrote, Romance! It's a rom-com. This is a rom-com. It really is kind of a rom-com. What is that Don't Fear the Reaper cover? I do not like it. It was, yeah. 96 was the year of Don't Fear the Reaper covers. Yeah, I read the name of the band, but I don't remember now at this point. I don't think it was just 96. I feel like it's in every movie ever. It is now, but 96 was like, we realized we could do it in Scream. Yeah, because the... The Gus version that's in Scream that's like nice and slowed down. I like and that version. It, yeah, it turns it into this like kind of sexy, breathy song. Mm-hmm. It's good. But the version at the end of this movie is bad. I do love that cut to the credits, though. I think it's it always gets oh, me a little amped. I, it's yeah, really I get cute. pumped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I and I like this song for the movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. think it's it's very thematic. So we're going to be talking about Patricia a lot in a lot more detail later, but my first question is, did we see this villain reveal coming? I definitely did not see this twist coming. I watched this for the first time probably like three years ago. So this was only my second time watching it, but I think a large portion as to why we don't see this twist coming when you normally would, like I'm pretty good at seeing a twist coming, not to toot my own horn, but (laughs) I can usually see like with context clues. And now that I've watched it the second time, you obviously see it. But the first time, maybe I was just a little too stoned. I'm not sure, but I definitely (laughs) didn't see that coming. But I think why is that by the time you get to the twist, you're so far into the movie and so much story is transgressed that you sort of forget all about the cold open scene before Mm -hmm. that title card drops. And then you get that like little glimpse into Patricia's home life when Lucy stops by. And even that feels like a possible setup to like the mother being the antagonist or something. You're not really sure. Again, like it feels like a red herring kind of. Mm -hmm. And so like as the movie goes on, I just I kind of always forget about it. That first scene. I do remember this uh, cover being in Blockbuster as a kid. I would walk by it all the time and it terrified me. It was right next to the Jack Frost cover, like the horror movie one. Ah. It was like holographic. And I was always so scared. I would like cover my eyes and and run past it. But I was pleasantly surprised to find out that it's not nearly as scary. (laughs) Neither of them are as the cover is when you're walking down the blockbuster aisle. (laughs) But I like as a kid thought this must be like the scariest movie ever. And it's a horror comedy, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely I definitely did not see that coming that first go around. Even the second go around, even knowing who it is. I, I, you forget because the movie has an entirely mm-hmm. separate storyline. Yeah. Yeah. And there is so much that happens in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it really goes a lot of places. It's very visually interesting, for better or worse, you know. And we have, mm-hmm. have had some off-air conversations about the special effects. But, Rocco, what do you think? Did you see this this twist coming? Well, I, I want to take it back to what Sammy was saying, it's funny we're very aligned this episode because this is was this is only my second time seeing this movie, and I only saw it a couple years ago myself. The twist I did not see coming because it, it's such a a massive movie in a weird way. Like there's so mm-hmm. many plot lines. Yes, you have the newspaper, you have the hauntings, you have the Reaper, you have Arlie Ermy, you have. <laughs> The weird FBI agent played by Jeffrey Coombs. Exactly. There's so many antagonists, kind of. Mm -hmm. Like, it's you don't know who is the bad guy, which is kind of fun. It's like a murder mystery a little. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think it's indicative of the problem with the movie as a whole is that it's overambitious. And that goes to the effects. And, you know, we'll talk more about that for sure. But the other funny thing that I want to mention is the cover is actually why I avoided this movie and why Peter Jackson, he blames the poster art as one of the reasons this movie failed, because 
it doesn't give you any information. It has nothing to do with it. It has just looks like I always thought it was like maybe like a plaster ghost, like a mm-hmm. yeah. like a paper mache ghost because it's like like you know when you put the newspaper in that weird like mod podge glue on stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's kind of what it looked like, even though it was pushing through the wall. Like the it also made me think of Nightmare on Elm Street because it looks like the yeah yeah Freddy's coming over the bed. So I thought it was this terrifying movie, uh, <laughs> but if I had known it was this kind of fun romp, I probably would have rented it. But instead, I ran past it every time well see it didn't scare me as a kid i don't think i think it just oh well you're just big and brave i guess (laughs) (laughs) it just it just gave me no information so like i'm not i I, it doesn't give you any indication of the tone what it is so yeah um, i agree i totally agree kind of funny It, it's it's interesting. Like it reminds me of when we were talking about in Deep Red. Like you can kind of see Argento becoming what we would know Argento as. Mm-hmm. It's like this. Like I can see the ambition that Peter Jackson is going to bring to other projects. You know, it's just that it's all tried to cram into like an under two hour runtime. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't think most movies need to be three hours. So like <laughs> I'm I, I don't I don't always subscribe to the more is more. Most movies don't need to be ninety minutes. <laughs> Okay, but Lord of the Rings does need to be that long. That's so true. I will, I will, only I will excuse Lord of the Rings, like, but also, not the I mean, the, the character design itself for Johnny, like, as the Shadow of Death, is basically a ring race from Lord of the Rings. Like, the, <laughs> when they're all, all the hobbits are, like, under the thing in Fellowship, like, under, the, like, the tree, and he comes yeah. over. It looks just like that. So you it can really see does. a lot of the, the CGI that he would go on, and just, like, the artistic like when you're a showrunner kind of or like the vibe oh I the guess, vision kind of. the vision kind of, yes yeah. exactly mm-hmm. like you can see what he would take on and i i've never seen beautiful creatures but i know that we could cover it even though it is based on okay. a mm-hmm. true story which is funny because the main girl's last name is linsky and melanie linsky's in that movie too yeah but i, I think, think he, that was entirely intentional I, she's, because i think she's in the background in the police yes, station. she is okay, one of the okay. deputies in the police station and oh, they were friends from working on heavenly creatures together oh, the right. heavenly creatures i said beautiful creatures i'm thinking of the emmy rossum failed fantasy <laughs> ya movie oh, from yeah, 10 yeah, years I ago that. i meant heavenly creatures but I've always been really interested to watch that because it's true crime. And you can kind of see she's based on a real, like, true crime story. They both are. And Mm -hmm. so is that movie. So he kind of definitely has a vibe for that. So I would have, I'd like to have seen him do a little bit more with that and not just gone like Lord of the Rings, King Kong, and kind of maybe explored that a little bit. And though some of that is fun. It's oh, like King Kong rules. I, oh, like, yeah, I'm yeah, an yeah. apologist for that movie too. So <laughs> Naomi Watts was also perfect casting. Mm. You oh, know, absolutely. Naomi Watts yeah, well, is like the current Jessica Lang, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing I want to say about that King Kong that is so funny <laughs> is it is the most modern one and yet it is the most racist King Kong. <laughs> Sure is. Yeah, it's been a while since I've watched it, so I, I'll have to yeah. come back to you on that. But I believe it's a, you. It's a little too faithful. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a big, think. I'm a big fan of the Jessica Lange King Kong. So I've never seen that one. Check that one, that one so. out. So oh, it's good. it's so good, and her performance in it, it's Jessica <laughs> Lange. She's stunning, and she's a powerhouse. <laughs> well, May, what about you? Did you see this villain reveal coming that Patricia is hot for more for murder for mortar? <laughs> I think I have more more door. More door. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw this movie at an early screening in the theater. I don't Ooh. remember if I mentioned my dad's best friend lived in Vegas. He moved <laughs> there in ninety five, end of ninety four, beginning of ninety five. So when we went and visited him in ninety six, we we saw an early screening of this at the movie theater, and so I got to see this before most people, and I loved it. I thought it was the coolest fucking thing in the world. 
I don't think I called it when I originally saw this. And I, you know, this is one of those movies that I rented at Blockbuster all the time because I loved it because I loved Michael J. Fox. And I was like, this is so cool. Ghosts and computer graphics, man. And <laughs> I, I got to say, rewatching it today, I did not exactly remember. I remembered she was in on it, but I didn't remember to what extent. I thought that he had like coerced her into being a part of it. I did not remember that she was just as much as, if not more, of a bloodthirsty killer as Johnny. Mm -hmm. Dee Wallace's turn in the movie, even though it's telegraphed a little bit, it's still really effective. Mm -hmm. That, That change from helpless little girl to... Psycho killer, for lack of a better term, Cascasay. <laughs> Cascasay <laughs> is it's terrifying and it's very mm-hmm. effective. And when we can see her interacting with Johnny, but I almost called her Trini, but Lucy can't. It's really fucking tense. It's really fucking scary. So it was definitely effective for me. In in general, I think the first two acts of this film were a little slow, a little meandering but also too crowded somehow and then Mm -hmm. the third act i feel like it all gels together and is like a really propulsive well done piece of horror action comedy and i think Mm -hmm. it balances all three of those really well in the third act finally yeah yeah i think so too and i think i don't know something about the cgi i think turned me off a while ago when it first came out it it's terrible it is genuinely horrible horrible. It's not that good. But I mean, and Rocco, I think you said it in our text thread. It's like, it almost feels kind of charming now. Mm -hmm. Like I was, because I was not approaching this as a serious movie, Mm -hmm. like a movie that I was expecting to actually scare me. I think I could really kind of just let go and enjoy it for like the kind of bizarre curio that it kind of Mm -hmm. is. I had a lot more fun with it than I was expecting to. um, And definitely more than I did the first time. Yeah, the effects are really strange. I, I, I actually, it's like they're so bad, they go right past bad to charming and mm-hmm. then back around to bad again. It's like, <laughs> it's a constantly shifting thing while you're watching it. But the mm-hmm. thing I think is really interesting, we were talking a little bit about the development of Peter Jackson as a filmmaker is, you know, he was sort of picked by Robert Zemeckis to make this movie. Robert mm-hmm. Zemeckis is super techie, always is wanting, like he pushed CGI in a lot of movies. And like right now he's making a movie with Tom Hanks and Robin Wright where he's de-aging them. It's like all new AI technology. Mm. Like God that's off. that gets Damn it. Did <laughs> he learn nothing? Yeah. Did he learn yeah. nothing from the Polar Express and how fucking rough. soulless and terrifying everyone? <laughs> but this movie does feel like it's like the how we talk about with Toby Hooper and Poltergeist with Spielberg. It does feel like obviously you see the Peter Jackson stuff there, but mm-hmm. it feels like it's Mecca's film. Yeah. I, it does feel like a death becomes her or like even like a Tales from the Crypt episode, kind mm-hmm. of. And I I think that's why I liked it so much when we did watch it because I wasn't I didn't watch it when it first came out. I like I didn't I knew what it was. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. I was going into it now thinking, wow, this is going to be the horror movie yeah. that's going to scare me or is going to be like super effect. I, I don't know. It's it's almost like for teens kind of mm-hmm. like if it weren't yeah. for some of the more obviously violent aspects of it. Like I could have seen myself being obsessed with this movie as a kid because mm-hmm. it just feels like a kind of like a kid's movie at times. Got a Scooby-Doo kind of vibe to it. Yeah, so like a Tim Burton-like vibe. And mm-hmm. obviously Danny Elfman did the, the music, so it, it feels like that. that. It, 
Oh, yeah. I always do. I saw it. I mean, it was funny because I said as the credits were rolling, I was like, gosh, this always reminds me of a Tim Burton movie. And then it's a Danny Elfman <laughs> composer. I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> but it is so interesting just because obviously that techie stuff is what turns Zemeckis' crank. But I was comparing this to Men in Black, which just came out a year later. I just watched that for another podcast. The effects there are way better. And yeah. interestingly, they're done by Industrial Light and Magic, uh, George Lucas's company, who worked with Zemeckis <laughs> on Death Becomes Her and Forrest Gump. So in an alternate reality, they could have worked on this. But Peter Jackson pushed for Weta Workshop, which had just begun and would do all the Lord of the Rings movies and everything. They were a small studio in New Zealand that he's most affiliated with. And apparently mm-hmm. this was a complete fucking nightmare for them. <laughs> so, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, they were a tiny studio. The stu- They kept having to request money from, I believe it was Universal doing this. Mm-hmm. Universal seemed really pleased with the end result, but apparently it was a nightmare production. So you can sort of see <laughs> that... Yeah. They were um, out of their depth, but I don't hate it. Yeah. I really don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's hard to hate, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. it doesn't look that great, but it's like there's there's so much heart to yeah. it. And there's there's like a lot of character, too, even though it's not always my vibe. I do really love when um, Milton's head gets blown off and then immediately reappears. <laughs> yeah. It's like that kind of thing. It's like it's it the just dog adds stuff is super funny, too. Mm-hmm. I love the dog. He's like he's playing with the bones. He's a dog. Yeah. He's a dead dog. <laughs> They're going to play with bones. <laughs> when well, a man's jawbone falls off. <laughs> It's time to reassess. <laughs> Which is funny because I also like associate this movie kind of with an Adams family vibe too. And, mm-hmm. and he's it's John from Adams family. Yeah. yeah. So it's cool. Yeah. Little six well, degrees. And Barry Sonnenfeld, director of the Adams family, directed Men in Black. So these are three of a oh, piece. <laughs> this goes all the way to the top. <laughs> Well, look, we've been talking about a lot of dudes, and uh, let's talk about our lady of the hour in our next category. Who is she? Oh, you're cute. Like a velvet glove cast in iron, and like the gas chamber, Varla, a real fun gal. And I'm very excited because today we are talking about horror royalty in this episode. Patricia is played by none other than Dee Wallace. Her character name is Patricia Bradley. I know Dee Wallace from Cujo, hashtag King Freak. So my question is, what is our first experience with this actress? And what is our favorite Dee Wallace performance? Cujo is my answer across the board. May, what about you? I believe my first experience with Dee Wallace was in E.T. And I have actually never seen Cujo, and I've never seen The Howling. Oh my gosh. I feel kind of ashamed of that. (laughs) I think you would dig the howling. I'm not oh, yeah. sure. Oh, I'm sure. I, I think you'd like Cujo, but if you're going to pick one of those two, the howling is more yeah. up your alley, I think. I also, I love her in Critters. I mean, she's super fun in that. And I'm trying to think of what my favorite performance of hers is. I feel like she's had really small parts on a lot of things. I mean, she was even an FBI agent on an episode of Bones. And I remember being <laughs> like, oh, Dee Wallace. Wallace. And being excited about that. So circle back to me about her <laughs> okay. favorite performance. I'm definitely not sitting here looking at IMDb, so oh, I don't no, sound like no, an no, asshole. We would never do that. <laughs> I don't have it up every time we record. Uh, Rocco, what about you? What's your favorite, D. Wallace? What is it? I think it's in Scream. They say, is this the werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. She goes, uh, where's the werewolf movie with E.T.'s mom? Yeah. And Randy goes, the howling horror straight ahead. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just always think it's funny. I always think of her as E.T.'s mom, but of course she is not E.T.'s mom. She is Henry Thomas's no, mom she's in E.T. Elliot's mom. Yes. <laughs> she adopted E.T. Yeah, for a minute. exactly. Oh my god, I forgot she's in Popcorn. Oh yeah, she is. Yeah. Very weird. I wish we could cover that movie. Great movie. Hashtag Jill Sholin gang. Oh, that's a gang yes. of one. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I obviously love her as E.T.'s mom. That was my first exposure. My f- my most recent performance that I think is notable, I think of her as like horror's greatest mom. But she's this orderly in th- Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. And it is that's right. Awful I totally and revolting. About that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm like, how did you cast her in this? So I like when she's cast <laughs> against type a little bit. I think that's why The Frighteners is also really fun because she just radiates such warm, lovely energy in most of her roles. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really like. I maybe this one might be my favorite, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say I think this might actually be my favorite performance. I think my favorite cameo is her being the landlady in House of the Devil. Oh yeah, that's right. But yeah, I think I think her performance in this is probably my favorite. That might change once I see The Howling finally. Which <laughs> honestly, I might go watch when we're done recording. It it might be a good chaser for this. I think, um, Sammy. What about you? This is another actor I hadn't seen a single film of um, until I moved here and met Mike. I had never seen E.T. growing up. I don't know how yeah. that happened. I didn't see it until I was an adult. It was yeah, the first movie fine. he sh- showed me when I came here to visit the first time. I think there's That's like so even cute. like an archive picture of like me posting when we watched it the first time. Aww. I cried so hard. It was like, because I, I, I didn't even know what it was about really, except for just E.T. Like that's, I didn't know the plot or anything. Then we watched Cujo, which is really strange that I had never seen it, given my love and affinity for Stephen King. But and dogs and dogs, you know. But yes, but this one, I guess maybe that's, that's what the it best was. heartwarming yeah, dog that, movie. That might have been it. So it's like you know, I know, I knew the dog wasn't going to end well. It's not yeah. like when you get surprised. Um, <laughs> but I should have, you know, I should have googled or, or um, what is that? Yeah, does, like, the does, does the dog die? Cujo yeah. entry? Uh, yes, Cujo. Yes. Does, does something bad happen to Cujo? Guys, could you guys let me know? I'm like on Reddit. Like um, I heard maybe that something might happen to this dog. It's a little bit stressful. Yeah, so like, could you let me know before I watch it? <laughs> I watched like scenes of it kind of randomly on like AMC's Fear Fest growing up. Mm-hmm. Like you would just kind of catch different, I guess, scenes. Yes, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Anyways, <laughs> but then I recently watched it from start to finish. But I think what I love most about this performance in this movie is that it's a completely different role compared to the rest of her filmography, Mm -hmm. like we were kind of talking about. I think she kind of always plays a mom in crisis a lot, and that's kind of what I think, especially given the few movies of hers I've seen, that's kind of what I associate her with. And that obviously adds to the final reveal here, because you don't really suspect her, because on top of that, she's basically like unrecognizable to me in this movie. She's got like long brown hair. I thought she was Beth Grant. Exactly. Like, I did not know who she was. And she's got, like, very childlike mannerisms that kind of had me forgetting it was Dee Wallace while watching it the first time. And I think the most interesting aspect of this character for me is that, and she's unlike any that we've covered so far, is that she essentially is, like, stunted at 14. Like, her frontal lobe wasn't even developed when this crime (laughs) took place in the movie. And I think Wallace does a really amazing job at executing that, given she's, like, easily in her 40s when this movie was filmed. And you forget that. Like, I Mm -hmm. I feel like she's a teenage girl. and it's not just the way she looks, but it's her her movements and just kind of obviously the way that she acts and the way that she thinks are all that of someone who isn't fully developed. Mm-hmm. I have a lot more to say on that as we go on, but I think that's why I, I was really drawn to this character and really wanted to cover her when we started this. Yeah. 
So she was also in Toby Hooper's TV movie, I'm Dangerous Tonight, before this, where she plays a killer prostitute. And that sort of feels a little bit like a dry run for what she does here. Uh I don't love I'm Dangerous Tonight or necessarily her in it. But yeah, kind of interesting. She's only played a handful of like crazy and (laughs) villainous characters. And yeah. Well, what's interesting about this role, and I think it kind of goes hand in hand with like the bigness of this movie and like kind of the the over the top, more like cartoonish quality of the film Mm -hmm. is she really gets to play both the ingenue and Mm -hmm. the villain and -hmm. really lean into both sides of those characters. Like she's so sweet and innocent at the beginning. I have some thoughts about whether that opening scene actually makes sense with the rest of the movie, (laughs) but it is fun to watch, you know, her being like this, this innocent damsel in distress. And then when she turns like she's so like she's the villain you want to be because she's so like seductive and powerful and strong and I definitely have some thoughts about her just running around with a shotgun (laughs) (laughs) did you tell us your favorite Jen oh you said Cujo. Cujo. Yeah, I think, Cujo. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And I uh, I love, love that book, even though it's a really hard book to read. And mm-hmm. I like the book better than the movie. They make um, it a little nicer <laughs> for you. They do huh? make it a little <laughs> nicer. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think she's great in that. Oh, we got a dog that's chiming in. Because we're talking arrived. about Cujo. <laughs> I know. That is weird. That's kind of weird. That is he weird. Knew. It's like when we said Bonathon and Adam Brody appeared He's behind us. He's like, are you talking about my breed? Yeah, she's like, hey, Cujo was innocent. Justice yeah. for Cooj. I can see yeah. the tail, though, going. It's whipping. Rocco I whip that tail is, back and is forth. Is the thing behind yeah, you? Yeah, I know. It? No, Rocco <laughs> grew a tail. That's what happened. Oh, yeah. Zachary just left. Him. They're very upset. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never. Yeah, but definitely, I think Cujo is my favorite. I love, you know, a. I like that she gets to play not a different kind of mom, but mm-hmm. a mom in a different kind of situation. I think in that it's so harrowing, and I love just how it, it's just such a heart wrenching movie. It's mm-hmm. also really scary, and you know I am a hashtag king freak, so <laughs> I am contractually obligated to say that that is my favorite as well. But let's talk about her shotgun ways and her hot for ghosty <laughs> in. <laughs> In our next category called Get In Loser, We're Going Killing. This woman will soon cut, chop, break, and burn five men beyond recognition. And there isn't a jury in this country that will convict her. Excuse me, hot for Busey, I would say. Hot for Busey. (laughs) Dude, my pun game is not on. I'm ashamed of myself. I think we're going to have to end the podcast, guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you have us for. That's true. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Yeah, hot for Busey. Hey, and I've got some thoughts about hot Busey, too. Yeah, thoughts I'm not proud of as well. So Okay, I'm glad to know. Just in general that I'm not proud of. So you guys are good. We're not doing video clips from this episode, but I wish we were so everyone could see the face I just made. What the (laughs) fuck, everybody? What the fuck? (laughs) Man, I just like a blonde psychopath, I think. I don't know what it is. <laughs> All right. So our victims, I have 36 randos who I'm sure have loving families that miss them, but <laughs> we don't know who they are. And then we have Ray, who is Lucy's husband, bathroom man, diligent but downtrodden reporter, severe haircut lady editor, Mama <laughs> Bradley, Milton 
dumbass. <laughs> it does look like that. It does. It does. Yeah. Do you remember that Demog- Demog- commercial where the guy is at a job interview and he keeps calling his boss Mr. Dumbass? And I think that might be what was in my head. Yeah, the boss goes, it's Dumas. And Dumas. then it's, you know, my group here, the film goes straight to your brain. Yeah, so we just all need uh, Snickers, I think. Mm-hmm. And then multiple ghosts and probably a few humans that died of collateral damage because, man, this this guy cannot drive. Like, it's a miracle he survived this long. Well, it's like Marty McFly. It's like the son in Back to the Future 2. It's like he has those, like, crazy mannerisms where he just kind of whips doors and is, like, Mm -hmm. one of his sleeves is longer than the other. It's like he's really disheveled, kind of. Yeah. It's almost like if that timeline existed still Mm -hmm. and, like, it was his son and that's who he came out, like, to be. It's like this really just kind of all over the place wackadoo type of guy. Yeah. Who can see ghosts and, you know. That does seem to exist in the Back to the Future world. Uh, yes. The, the murder I have is horniness for murder, mm. uh, which I want to talk about. And then the weapon is shotgun and box cutter. And I guess his hands, right? Because Yeah. Well, that's his, his weapon. Oh, right, right, right. We're just I talking mean, about guess, her weapon. But if she's commanding the horsemen. His weapon yeah. is heart disease. Is, yes, it is heart disease. The number one killer age. of Americans. Yes. <laughs> You're so these basic. fucking French fries. <laughs> oh, man, I love French fries. All right, so let's talk about Patricia. Let's just get right into it. So here's my first question. Patricia is, I believe, 14 or 15 when she meets Johnny. She claims she was afraid of him, and I could see an argument for grooming, but she also seems to really enjoy the killing when we see her in flashbacks. So my question is, is Patricia actually a villain, or is she the victim of an older man? Sammy, what do you think? I think this is the question uh, when I was looking at the outline earlier that I was most interested in talking about and why I chose this movie to begin with, because the answer is like most of the characters that we covered, not so black and white. And this one's kind of like in screaming color because both things can be true. And I think Patricia is a prime example of this. I guess I kind of look at it this way. If the incident at the hospital was the only horrific crime of her youth, say like the actual murderers that these characters are based off of. I believe their names are Carly Ann Fugit and, and Charles Starkweather. They, however, mm-hmm. killed her entire family, including her two-year-old sister, as many as like a bunch of other people, too. It was, it's a horrible crime spree. But anyways, if this was truly the only event to this caliber, she participated, did her time, came out reformed to lead a normal life, I would say, sure, she's a victim of an older man taking advantage of her. I would also say that there has to be some sort of rot inside of you to degree to do what they did. I don't think this just kind of comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You don't just wake up one day after playing with your Barbies and go, man, now that I've thought about it, I would love to go on a mass killing spree with my boyfriend <laughs> here in a few years. <laughs> Now, I don't always think it has some demonic evil to do with it, like the mother thinks, although mm-hmm. the existence of heaven and hell in this movie would maybe prove otherwise, because it's like kind of supernatural, I guess. Or, I mean, it is supernatural, but I do think most times, if not all, this is behavior that is inside of you already. Mm-hmm. And to kind of hammer that point down in the context of this film, she reinforced her wicked ways, and instead of being grateful she got through this and is now a free woman, she pulled that Ouija board out and summoned her malevolent boyfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you could absolutely make the argument that this is lasting trauma or that she was groomed. I totally could see that. 
But I think what I love about this film and what we get to talk about on this podcast is that someone isn't always the victim, even when it looks like they are. I think Mm -hmm. for Patricia to mask to the caliber that she does in front of others shows that there is like truly something malicious present inside of her. I've always thought that someone who can behave a certain way, like most serial killers, like you get like a Ted Bundy, you know, and everyone after is like, oh, they were the nicest person. We never would have thought like that's kind of the example of someone that's truly evil because Mm -hmm. like most people, if you lie or you're not presenting as yourself, like it doesn't feel natural. There are like kind of cracks. I know I get like sick to my stomach if I even like lie or, you know, or fib. So (laughs) to completely like convince people that you're this innocent little girl, even when you're an adult, takes like a truly narcissistic sociopath. I absolutely, like I said, completely see the argument there. And I even like agree with it to a certain extent. But I think the actions that she takes after kind of disprove that. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. Rocco, what do you think? I apologize, guys. I have Columbine on the brain. Oh, um, I, I wrote about Columbine as well. That's funny that you said that. I, I have a note on that as well. <laughs> not not just because not just because this film like it's shocking to watch now, just because of the amount of shootings and the spree killing that's going on. In just mm-hmm. a few years, studios would not have greenlit a film like this. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I also just read Columbine by Dave Cullen. It's so good, isn't it? It's one of my favorite books. Yeah, it's really, really really well written. Yeah. Sorry, I had to. Sorry, it's like on my shelf. I really (laughs) enjoy that book. I'm downloading it. (laughs) It's really well written. And in a shout out to my favorite podcast, We Hate Movies, Columbine by Dave Cullen. Anyway, it's it, this isn't specifically that book. He talks a lot about, you know, there being a dyad. So I believe that that is a psychopath and a victim who they're able to weaponize as well against a populace. So it's not quite that, but it it, it is interesting because it's sort of like going back to our uh, episode on daughters of darkness game recognizing mm-hmm. game it's like <laughs> this mm-hmm. movie sort of is just like oh they're two complete psychopaths who were just a perfect match for each other mm-hmm. and i think that's what is in the movie that's what the movie is telling me i don't see a lot of victimization just based on what i'm presented with mm-hmm. because she is absolutely bug nuts insane when she gets mm-hmm. that shotgun going mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah i think she's a psycho as well yeah, the only thing that really points to victimization is her age, you know, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. not really any action. And the fact that she says, I was afraid of him. But yeah. I think we also see that that uh-huh. could easily be a cover. But May, what do you think? Simi, is there a name for the women who become obsessed with male serial killers who are still alive? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, write them fan letters and want to marry them. Is is there a specific term for that? Or is that just a thing I don't think there's happens? like a... Um, it feels very pointed that you're asking Sammy this specifically. I, I love true crime. <laughs> I, well, I first of all love crimes. villains. I love Look, villains. If this was a Catholicism I, question, Rocco, I would bring no, it to you. No, I am flattered. No, I am no. so flattered. <laughs> how Sammy many, how many serial, serial killer killers have you, re- have you written to, Sammy? <laughs> Um, Sweet n- nothing. Yet. That's yeah, not what I was um, I'm kidding. No, it's I a know. joke. <laughs> but like, you're not wrong. I mean, I love true crime. It's my, it, it's, it's a huge facet of my personality. I don't know if there is like, I, I don't know if there's a technically um word that people use as a diagnosis mm-hmm. or that is like appropriate aside from just like a little 
little left of the dial or a little, mm-hmm. you know, something's off, you know, obviously like something does have to be, I think, a little inherently off Yeah. to fall in love with a serial killer. I grew up in California, Northern California specifically. I was seven minutes down the road from the Golden State Killer when he got caught. I have grown up, like I grew up next to Folsom Prison. Like I, I know mm. a lot about this and it's, I don't know. I think it has so much to do with they're looking for something titillating, something that's larger than life. Someone that can be fully obsessed with them, too. I think a lot of it comes down to this one-sided notion of you're in prison and you're stuck there and you can't cheat on me. You can't leave me. Mm -hmm. We are destined to be together. A lot of times criminals like that to that caliber aren't, you know, the nicest of men. So they take advantage of these women as well. And I think they're all just looking to be loved in a way that is not healthy, but to them it does seem healthy, I guess, when someone's fully obsessed with you. It fulfills the needs that they currently have access to, not the needs they not the needs they actually need fulfilled. Exactly. Like they don't have to live together, you know. It's like pretty easy, you know. And I mean, look at like with um the Night Stalker, like when he was caught, like there were women all over the court, like just flashing like him and yeah, writing him. And, and it, he was known to have some of the bat- worst breath in the history of criminals. <laughs> and yet these women were still like, you know what? I love you. And he wasn't the, quite the looker, in my opinion. I, I guess I kind of can understand the Ted Bundy thing. But for the most part, I think there's just like, I think a lack of love in their childhood. I not to sound, you know, like an armchair therapist, but I think that's what it comes down to. I don't know the technical term, but that's what I would think. I agree. I, I think she's obviously she likes the idea of someone being obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm going to use the term murder bunny. So <laughs> perfect. That works. I Love feel that. like this is an extreme version of what I'm going to call murder bunny syndrome because she didn't seek him out after he started killing. She sought him out before anything happened because her mom was the hospital administrator. He was, he worked there as an orderly. They obviously knew each other in passing and they saw something in each other. So I'm going to say that if they hadn't gotten together, he may not necessarily have killed. She may not necessarily have killed things. Maybe didn't, end up going the way that they could have. I don't think they necessarily would have become killers if they had not come together. I -hmm. think that their energy together, that shared obsession with death, is what drove them each over the edge and caused them to start killing. Socially speaking, if he was, you know, 19 or 20 working as an orderly at the hospital, which is kind of reasonable to assume. And she was 14 or 15 at the time. It makes sense that they would have been making eyes at each other. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into age gap discourse, (laughs) especially right now. I I'm just going to say for the time, which was the sixties, it wasn't that unusual. So Mm -hmm. they saw something in each other. They got together and they brought out those murderous impulses in each other. They planned this. I mean, it was very specifically planned for the day that they did it. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a spur of the moment thing. It wasn't an impulsive action. It was, it was very planned. Mm -hmm. And I think that, They just really, like you said, Jen, they're horny for murder. You know, they saw these other serial killers and they idolized them and they said, let's do this together. 
I also just wanted to say I'm glad Sammy picked this movie because this is one of the cornerstone recurring topics this podcast will return to again and again is killer couples. Yeah. And I think this is a perfect first one for us to do. Well, and I think like I I agree with everything that all three of you have said. And I think really we just don't know enough because we don't see anything Mm -hmm. before the day. So I think what I want to say about in kind of not really an answer to this question, but like, what is the reason that we ask questions like this? Like it's because it's not to get her out of prison. It's Mm -hmm. not to excuse anything she did. And it's not to say it's okay for her to kill people because she just met a bad man. And it's not to blame him more than it is to blame her. It's just to try to understand how these power dynamics work. And one of the things I think is really interesting about this killer couple is until the end of the movie, we think that he is kind of this domineering killer mm-hmm. guy. Because, I mean, he he's Jake Busey. He looks <laughs> like he's very charismatic, but in an evil way. And she appears very meek. And I think that is the typical, like, dynamic we tend to assume because of gender norms and the patriarchy mm-hmm. that when a woman kills, it's probably because a man got to her or tried mm-hmm. to, like, or some something happened. It can't be just because she likes to kill. And so that's what I think is more interesting, like to dig in, not more interesting, but that's, that's why I like to kind of dig into these questions because I mean, she still did kill people. She is still responsible for what she did, but I think it's interesting, like our responses to that or that question are almost more interesting to me than the actual answer. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And we've already, May, you were kind of talking about this earlier, but Do we think that she would have become a killer if she hadn't met Johnny? Sammy, what do you think? I think a lot of times in these types of cases, there isn't ever really a true motive or one at the very least that like you and I or like any logical person could really wrap their head around. So I think these are kind of like, like you were saying, like they're the jokers of our society a little bit. They want to watch the world burn and it's kind of just violence for violence's sake. I also completely agree with you on your point about how we look at women as incapable of committing crimes like these. I think that's why I was so interested in taking on this project is because I don't believe that. Yeah, truly. I, as, as a woman, I know what I'm capable of and it's not this, <laughs> but I know what I am capable of. And mm-hmm. I think that people can be just, it doesn't matter what your gender is or anything. You can be a bad person. And mm-hmm. I think that we're fully capable of convincing others to kill for us too. In our name, in our honor, just to prove something. I think a lot of times, like you said, we just, we see a woman, we think they could never be capable of something like that. And I don't think if it weren't for Johnny, I think she probably would have found someone else to do this with, or maybe a lesser crime by herself. Like I said, I do think this was always inside of her. And when you learn to manipulate at a really young age like that, you become like a professional at it. And Mm -hmm. I think as she was manipulating her parents, even, you know, her mom saw right through it, but we don't know about like dad and everything and just the people around her. I think she got better at it as she aged and she convinced him maybe, I don't know, maybe they convinced each other, but like, that's always, I don't know. I, like I said, you wouldn't just wake up one day and go like, Hey, do you guys, do you want to do this? You know, it was, it was there already. So I think it's, it's an interesting topic of, 
I know it looks like men do all of the bad things a lot of times and they do, but we are also, you know, they, we, they do, but we, we also do have our fair share of crimes as well. We do. And so I do try to look at it through that lens of you're not just innocent based on your gender. Yeah. Bad, bad people are, are everything. <laughs> They're they sure every are. age, mm-hmm. every ethnicity, every, every like walk of life. There are bad people. So I think that's why I like this one so much. Yeah. And I think like, I agree with you. I think she definitely had this in her. I think the one devil's advocate thing I might say is I do think there was a tipping point. And I, one thing that I know about teenagers is that you don't like kids. You don't always have the, the understanding of what the rest of your life is going to look like if you commit this one act, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I do wonder if she hadn't met him, would she have been able to just not kill people for a couple more years until she realized, (laughs) maybe I don't want to kill? Although I think it's probably (laughs) unlikely. That's me just playing a lot of devil's advocate, uh, more just to have content for a podcast. But but Rocco, what do you think? Uh, Well, I really love killer couples there's a reason it's such an interesting topic, especially in movies, just because Mm -hmm. love is a really insane thing. And being obsessed with someone and wanting to be, she wants to be into what he's into, you know, Jen, you just mentioned, you know, making decisions as a young person and not knowing what your life is going to look like later. Not really thinking about that. Mm -hmm. I just watched Sofia Coppola's Priscilla. So that was very present in my mind. Mm hmm. This is Jake Busey's hobby. She's a young girl. She wants to be into what he's into. So she's going to get herself really excited. And, you know, you know those people who, when they get into a relationship, they completely change. She's just rooting for him and wants to help him achieve his goals. Also, uh, going back to what May said about age gap, this was just on my mind also. I love, even if it's just imagery, because we talked about how she is sort of essentially a a stunted 14, 15-year-old, it is cool to see an older woman with a younger man Mm -hmm. at the end of the film in just sort of this sort of and just is equally in love with her too. Like they yeah. like he, oh, he's like, into it. And so I do think that kind of like almost eradicates the age discourse thing there too. Is it's like I don't think he was attracted to her because she was younger. Yeah, it was the the force of their their the combined interests. Yeah, I mean he's still obviously very into it. Moita. well into her into her late forward or like mid. It looked like she was in her mid forties, I would assume. And yeah. so I do like that. That's a good point. I didn't even really think about. Yeah, that. Yeah, there's like just that. something powerful about seeing them. In Absolutely. Love at, I don't know it's sort of cool i don't know (laughs) oh yeah there is something powerful for me about seeing him in love which i so i want to talk about undead johnny and again i have a thing for blonde psychopaths part of why i love the boys so much but why does patricia contact johnny after because i agree i think that what really throws the fly in the ointment about like would she ever have killed is the fact that she does get away she does get out of prison and she makes the choice to contact him again Mm -hmm. so my question why does she do that why does she resurrect him and why does she start their killing spree again may what do you think because they didn't finish they didn't kill as many people as they wanted to you know they only Mm -hmm. got one more than starkweather and they Mm -hmm. they want to they want to beat all the greats they want to (laughs) be the greatest and Mm -hmm. i think that once she finally was able to escape and was able to contact him and start making this happen they were able to work together again to 
to do this. Yeah. Sammy, did you say that Starkweather is who this was based on as well? Yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, him and his, uh, they were in Nebraska, I believe. Yeah. Killed her mom and dad and her two-year-old sister and then went on the run like Bonnie and Clyde and killed a bunch of people on the road. Like a, kind of like a natural born killers type of situation. Mm-hmm. And I like, yeah, I like that they even name drop Starkweather in yeah. the movie then. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. So the same thing May said, you know, she wanted to help him reach that goal. And like, what is more devoted and loving and supportive than that? Yeah. <laughs> She's such a good girlfriend. Oh, my God. <laughs> girlfriend of the Year award. It is so demented, though, just because like, not to bring it back to Columbine again, but we're constantly talking about the amount of people killed in these mass mm-hmm. shootings that are still happening. And to watch this movie, it is almost it is shocking to yeah. realize that they are just that this is their kill count, you know, and they're mm-hmm. trying to kill uh, the as many people as possible, like 38 to Peter Jackson was an absurd number, but it's not an absurd number anymore. Mm-mm. Yeah. So God, that's, that's not upsetting at all. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I said 38. I, I Who has 38? You're right. You're close. 30, okay. No, 37 okay. is Ray. Yeah. yeah you're yeah. I think they get up to 40. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Which was an yeah, unfathomable then, number a couple decades ago, but now it's really not. Oh, yeah. Writing the synopsis. Like I had all the vocabulary for what they did. You yeah. Because it's just, it's what we, like we saw one last week. Well, yeah. there was, I think like one of the first school shooters was a young girl here. And I think it was either Canada or here. And when they asked her why she did it, she said, because I hate Mondays. I hate Mondays. That's I the Trey Amos song, mm-hmm. right? And it's really horrific. But like, then it was like this huge larger than life case because <laughs> it hadn't happened to that caliber before. Mm-hmm. Now, like you look back at that, and it's like there's been for much less at this point. But I think to answer your question, I think they both got a sexual thrill out of it. I think there's some sadomasochist things going on here. I mean, that last scene in the hospital when he's a ghost and she's, you know, her, he's caressing her body, and like she seems close to orgasm, like when she's like kind of going in and out of her, and like she's petting him in the chair. Like there is this very doting kind of sexual tension there that you can tell like kind of gets her off. And I think she's just really drawn to him. And in her mind, they're cosmically entwined. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned before, we've mentioned a couple of times that she is permanently stunted at 14. And most 14 year olds don't understand the concept of consequences. Or if they do, they don't really care or think about them. Even at, like I'm 30 years old. I remember what 14 felt like. Everything is the end of the world. The end mm-hmm. all beat all, all the time. And, and that is amplified when you put someone in someone's midst that they think that they have like this true love and connection with. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the more dangerous things in our society is a teenager who thinks they're in love. We do stupid Mm -hmm. shit as adults for love, but we do even stupider shit as teenagers for love. Like I, I obviously didn't kill anyone, but I definitely didn't make great decisions on that basis with someone that you're not, you're not gonna end up marrying them. You know, I'm 13. Like, And so I think all of that is to say that I think she resurrected him because she's still very much in that mindset. He's her one true love. We're destined to rule this life and the next one together. And anyone who stands in their way, they will gladly take care of, even if they don't stand in their way, it seems. Yeah. They did it for shits and kicks. And I think a part of her, when she got out, was missing that. Like, um, mm-hmm. this is my other person that I could, I could, you know, saw me for me and was okay with my evil deeds. Mm. And, you know, if anything, put her on a pedestal for them. So mm-hmm. to go from, you know, your mom making you feel like shit all the time, everyone, you know, the whole world is against her. If you're looking at it from her, like, mindset, this was the only person in her life that made her feel whole. 
So of course you're going to do everything you can to get that feeling back. Yeah. May? I wanted to jump off of what Sammy was saying about the sadistic and masochistic nature of their relationship. They definitely do seem to have a bit of a dom-sub relationship in terms of kink. The bruises on her neck. You know, why would he be choking her if he was trying to kill her? Mm-hmm. That was them playing. That was them having a, a doing a scene. Her mom just happened to be there, which is real gross. <laughs> yeah. Or, or it made it more exciting. <laughs> also, I just wanted to say, doesn't the guy, the um, sheriff at the end of the movie say she had like a pile of Ouija boards? Yeah. yeah she was uh-huh. like, and, like was, maybe one is never working. enough. Yeah. Like it's like the, the Milton Hasbro or like whatever, uh, Milton like Milton Bradley. Bradley. Thank Hasbro. you. Yeah. Or Hasbro. I mix them both. I mix them. Um, it's almost like the uh, ready or not, like the, the weird <laughs> things that they bring out all the board games. So maybe it's yeah. one of theirs. Maybe it's one of the Moss fam or uh, whatever. What was her name? Ledomus. Ledomus. Yeah, I just the want Ledomus a montage family. of her being like going through Ouija boards. Like this one sucks. It's like, it's like a Hello Kitty one. There's like all these weird ones. Cause like they've like, like the dollar store ones, you know, that like maybe have some are in different languages. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like branded, like this is my Halloween branded yeah. Ouija board. This is my, uh, Ellen I Ripley wonder what Ouija was the board. one that finally got him. Like, <laughs> was, like he's like, you know what? This one's kind of for me. Probably but they always do it. say, don't try to use a Ouija board by yourself, which you do. Hey, yeah. I am afraid of Ouija boards. I am like, too. That's, I always I, have been. I, I, I've never used one. Never. Mm. In case anyone hasn't seen our video clips, oh, I've I seen do. It. I have a hand burned Ouija board mm. that I bought from this guy, Matt. It's 10 Horns of Man. I don't know if his shop is open right now. I know he was taking a break for a little bit. I also have a piece of jewelry of his, but I love that thing. It is so beautiful, and I have yet to use it, but I will. It really mm. freaks me out when you're talking and the planchette starts moving by <laughs> yeah. while we're recording. It's especially impressive because it's sitting up, you know? It's got to defy oh. gravity. Oh, it's it's... It's writing something in fire. Stop it, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's writing, tell them how I am defying gravity. Oh, I, God, that's I, a banger. Rocco, I am so glad I set you up for that joke. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, speaking of hot, because fire, if they weren't killing people, would their undying love be kind of hot? Because... I am kind of into it, except for the fact that they're killing people. Yes, we know killing is bad. Not advocating for that, but there. And I think that there's there's. It kind of goes back to that teenage thing. It's like there's something sexy about not giving a fuck, about breaking the rules, about doing the bad thing. You know, I love a bad boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's why I dated so many bad boys, and then ended up marrying a blonde, not psychopath, but a blonde <laughs> accountant. And I'm much happier now. But as so, far as like, you know. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah. Hey, and you know what? If he's managed to hide it from me for this long, <laughs> keep, keep I've seen Ben Affleck's the accountant. Okay. I know they can do some stuff. <laughs> oh man, every time we watched like every single episode of Ozark, I would look over at Corey and I say, Do you have never, a secret filtering? Yeah. <laughs> but also like money laundering scheme. Yeah. <laughs> but so my question, uh, Rocco, because you seem to be maybe having some less than pure thoughts about Jake Busey 
What do you think about this this undying love? I know we know murder is bad, but I think it's hot because of the murder. I'm sorry. Like, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Wait till you get and my it's a answer. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, th- there's this. I- I've always loved the intersection of sex and violence. That's a big thing mm-hmm. in movies. Big thing in horror movies. And the murder in this movie and a lot of movies is a penetrative act. Like sex is. Mm, there's a mm-hmm. reason there's so much overlap with the two things. So I don't think that their relationship would be the same or be as erotically charged if they were not absolutely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> yeah. Why am I attracted to Jake Busey? I don't think I'm attracted to him in literally anything else, but even with his little burnt marshmallow teeth. head. It's the big <laughs> teeth. <laughs> kind of into him in identity. Oh, I love that movie. I think Identity Rules. And he's not bad in um, Starship Troopers, of course, because everyone in Starship Troopers is naked and looks good. Mm -hmm. Smoking hot. Mm -hmm. I imagine that's a big sexual awakening for a lot of people. Wait, what about in Contact when he blows up the machine? That's not hot. Haven't seen it in so long. I haven't either. I haven't either. I haven't (laughs) either. I will not Jodie Foster this behavior. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I stole that joke from Trixie and Katya. (laughs) I was about to say is are you are you is like Katya loving contact. But yeah, I I think it's a big it's it's a feature of their relationship, not a bug. The violence. Mm-hmm. So And Sammy, you've teased your answer, so I kinda wanna save you for last. So May, <laughs> what do you think? I agree with Rocco. I think it's a feature <laughs> of their relationship, not a bug. I think they would still have a lot of passion for each other. I think it would find some other unhealthy an unproductive way to come out and mm-hmm. they would still end up doing horrible things to people, even yeah. if they weren't actually murdering them. So what do you think, Jen? Well, I do think it's interesting because I said earlier, I don't think that first scene makes sense because I think it was set up to like point to the mother as the villain or, and point to Patricia as a victim. But I think you're exactly right. May. I think it, it's like some kind of, kinky play or like some kind of like thing that they're they're exciting each other with that I think makes the movie a lot more interesting Rocco also it's just totally weird just in the structure of the movie obviously you can't reveal who the killer is but knowing who he is wouldn't he want everyone to know that he is but not until they're done, you know, because right, then it's like, you gotta keep done. going. And then there's also something kind of sneaky about it of like That's all these true. people are dying. Yeah. And and like you're the one causing it. Like the life is in your hands, I think is enough. Like, cause the minute you guys get caught, the minute it stops. I just think he would more get off on being, oh, he's back no, from the dead. Yeah. He's yeah. The infamy. He's coming back for his digits, for his numbers. And I think he would. But I also think that that points to Patricia, and so I think that that would make a little that would make it more likely that they would get caught. You know, yeah. okay, Agreed. that makes sense. I also think the scene is necessary because she gets injured in that scene, and that's what set up sets up yes. her coming to this. So it it does make I, I understand because I I thought that this every single time. I, again, like I said, I forget that that scene happens. It does feel mm-hmm. so out of place, but there is a reason for it. I, I and think it's it maybe could have. It is fun. It, it, it makes it seem like the, the murder mystery is set up a little bit yeah. more. It's like an Agatha Christie thing of like who done it. You know, it's yeah. the beginning of Clue. I, I think it could have maybe done a little differently, but I do agree with you guys on that. Well, yeah, Sammy, make me feel better about my horniness for Jake. <laughs> so I'm going to really try to come at this question with the mindset of someone who isn't deranged like myself. 
if you follow me on any social media platforms, you know I am a simp for a villain. I pick the bad guy. I have literally stopped books because I was like, ew, you're picking the hero. Like, this makes me sick. <laughs> and, or like, I will find like fan fiction after of like when I read Shadow and Bone and she doesn't pick the Darkling who's Ben Barnes, which is like, what are you doing with your life? I had to find fan fiction for it because I was like, I have to read something else because this has like ruined my day. <laughs> I would read this book as a dark romance. I'm really into dark romances. I fucking read a book last year called Marrow about two competing serial killers who fall in love and have sex in their victim's blood and their like graves and stuff. It's insane. <laughs> the author, I was like Bryn something, Bryn Weaver. She follows me on my bookstagram. So I was like all stoked. And she has another one called like The Butcher and the Blackbird or something. And it's all about like basically serial killers who fall in love. There's also a book called Haunting Adeline, which is about a stalker who falls in love with a girl and has sex with her in various really strange places and with strange things. Mm. It's not available on Libby. I don't love a lot of my books to be seen while I'm out and about. (laughs) I think I always say like, if I die, like, please erase my Kindle because they will... (laughs) They will not be good stories of me afterwards, but <laughs> we got your back. I thank you guys. I think as humans, we're, we're just drawn to these taboo aspects of ourselves and others, like the things we can only whisper about or search in incognito mode. It's, it's titillating, like I said. So, for example, the very real case that the film May December is based on sold thousands of copies of their People magazine spread when that happened in the late 90s. Mm. So I think as a species, and, you know, people is pretty known for showcasing the macabre and these awful humans and the awful Mm -hmm. cases. But I think that just proves that as a species, we love to learn about things that are forbidden. And this is kind of no different here. I don't know. It's just something to like kind of fantasize about, even though you know it's wrong. It's the looking behind the curtain when you're not supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like... I also just want to remind any listeners that might be scandalized, like, we're talking about a movie that's not It's real, fiction. It's you know? fiction. Like, and, like, I am all for, if you have these types of things that, like, you know, you if this helps you not execute those things exactly. in real life, then go for it. Like, and yeah. not that I have those thoughts, but again, I get titillated very easily. I love to, that's why I love true crime. I love to learn about our like psychosis or psychoses. I don't psychoses. know. Thank you. Because it makes me feel a little bit better about my brand of mental illness Yeah, and helps me also accept others maybe what they're going through, because I don't think it makes us any less human to have these thoughts. I am queen of intrusive thoughts, so Same. I don't I don't think it makes us wrong, and it's what, it, what we do with those actions, you know, that makes us wrong. It's not exactly. the thoughts that we have. So, yes, I can yeah. sit here all day and say, you know, yeah, it was pretty hot, and I would absolutely read this book, but I would not participate in it. So Right. <laughs> yeah, like, what happens inside my head, that is my business. Exactly. What I do that becomes other people's mm-hmm. business. How I affect others. You're harming someone else. I can do anything I want to myself. Any, you know, but the yeah. minute it involves someone else is when you either have to get, you know, approval, consent, or don't do that thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Racco. Well, Jen, you said this is not real, but it was written by Peter Jackson and his still current wife, Fran Walsh. Uh, so maybe they were telling on themselves a little bit. Oh, <laughs> I always yeah. forget hey. they're married because they've been writing partners for so long. But I, I guess that. it's like Tom Waits and Kathleen Brennan. Yeah. Well, hey, they're the just as that in haunts love. together. Yeah, exactly. Together. <laughs> and, hey, more pa- and you know that's another way I think of like kind of working out those thoughts. You know, getting it out of your head as you create mm-hmm. art with it. You know. So we've been talking a lot about Jake Busey being hot, but I also think Patricia is hot. 
in this movie. Oh my god, she's so hot. I love her outfit too. I would rock it. So cute. Just like her, like toting that shotgun with a flashlight (laughs) strapped to it. So the first time we see her wandering around the hospital with a box cutter, and this is before I think we fully understood the breadth of her psychopathy. She seems to be like marking Johnny's kills not killing herself. But the last act shows her actually wielding the shotgun, taking a lot of the action on herself. So my question is, do our feelings for Patricia change based on the weapon she's holding and how proactive she's being in this killing spree? I think she definitely shot a few people before that, even if we didn't necessarily see it. Well, and kind of going back to that, like, was Jake Busey the actual killer and she's just like the the side piece? You know, I think the marking his kills, I think, would kind of support that reading. And that's why I think it is so important that we see her actually chasing Lucy and Frank through the hospital and actually trying to shoot them. Rocco, what do you think? I think it's interesting. She's definitely like, there's the two of them and, you know, they balance each other in an interesting way. She's sort of Mm -hmm. the live wire and he's probably more the planner. Mm. But it also makes me question, you know, what the rules of this world are. And that's something that is strange in the movie anyway. Like the ghosts can be affected upon by being run over by cars sometimes and things like that. This is, this is one of the only movies, like I don't think about this with most ghost movies, but this one, especially with like it's Trini Alvarado's husband. He falls into the grave. Like my mind Mm -hmm. goes, well, couldn't he fall directly through the earth itself? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's very like convenient narrative. Yeah. And that's a sloppily constructed construction, but that's neither here nor there. So I I find it interesting that Jake Busey chooses to just stop people's hearts and doesn't choose something more violent. So I kind of think she has a different style that is more ferocious and more, you know, outright violent and they balance each other. And I'm into it. (laughs) Once we see her actually commit the act of murder, as opposed to it simply being inferred, it definitely pushes us past that point where we're like, okay, I'm having a hard time rooting for her now. Maybe I thought she was just going along with it. Maybe I thought she was some poor sap. Now I know she's definitely not. And I can still be like, you get it, girl. And also be like, oh my God, she's a fucking scary murderer. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I think we kind of, we talked about it earlier because Rocco, you brought up Columbine, which I thought was funny or not funny. That's definitely not the word that I would choose. I apologize. I thought was intriguing because I also wrote about that when I saw this question on the outline. I think in this day and age, weapons of mass destruction, such as guns, they're harder for us to swallow now mm-hmm. in the context of our current world. When all of these tragedies just started in the alternate timeline that we are now in. The, the bad one. It is harder for us to swallow that. And I think I kept having to try to put myself in the mindset of this is 1996. This is before this was happening essentially on the weekly. So it, I, as jarred as I was by that, I still mm-hmm. kept trying to kind of put myself in that. It didn't work, to be honest with you. I think a villain for me that is like a true villain like Patricia is more likable when they're not using a gun. I know, like, especially women who I like it when they use like either knives or like, like something weird or their hands. I don't know. It's more about like the idea, like, and this is, you know, will be sound cocky too, but is that like women are like, I like the idea that we're smarter and a little bit more like 
cunning. Thought out. Yes. So we think of the things we want to do. Like if we're going to kill, let's kill like in a, a, a different kind of way that stands out. And for me, a gun is just like, yeah, anyone can go get a gun. You know, it's uh, kind of lazy from a, like an antagonist standpoint. So I find it a little bit more interesting if they find like they're killing with tights or like, you know, uh-huh. their, their nails are so long, they dig it into their necks or something. I don't know. <laughs> so Yeah, something like it doesn't even have to like, it doesn't have to be gender like specific. I do kind of, I like that a little bit more just because I do like the idea of taking something that's really feminine and making it into this really harsh thing. Mm-hmm. So I think the gun for me is just kind of like, meh, like not, not really because of, you know, how horrific it is, even though that does pl- come into play. And I know that sounds awful, but I think like for this character who is so crazy and I don't mean crazy in like a mental way, just like kind of like, you know, I mean, I guess, yes, chaotic. but yes, chaotic. I think it would have been cool to see her do something like, even the box cutter was cool because it's like, oh, no one who kills with a box cutter, you know? I do like the box cutter. They've been digging it. It's something different, but I don't know. I just think like it's it's lazy. Like anyone can do that. <laughs> I will tell you what dates this movie is seeing Milton pull out an Uzi, you know, <laughs> as if that is a gun that- What's an Uzi? Are, exactly. <laughs> it, that's like what they, that, that was the big gun everybody was afraid of in the 90s. Well, <laughs> I mean, now we have, you know- We have AKs. AKs, yeah. yes. So, but I yeah. still just, yes, it's obviously really, really scary and horrible, but I think if you're going to like be as notorious as you want to be, like throw, do some like toxic gas, like the Joker or something. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I, I'm not sure if it's AKs or ARs or so. I don't, I don't know. know very much I'm about not guns, a gun so person. It, yes. Listeners, d- don't at us. Like, I don't, I don't really want to know. Oh, I Rocco, exactly don't want to know. Um, <laughs> I just think it's, it's, Sammy is bringing up an interesting point, though, just because horror in general avoids guns, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, it's lazy. Yeah, 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 that's more the action genre. Yeah, you know? we're kind of more into creative kills, and like the least creative kill you can imagine is a gun, really. It's a gun. <laughs> it's too simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. like the couple of times that guns show up on Buffy, and you're just like, what it? What are we doing here? Spoilers for Buffy. That's why the Tara thing is so horrid, because it's like, this is like, everyone's dying from supernatural things, and then you have this very real thing, you yeah. know? No one, I don't like that. That makes me, I watch TV to, like, escape. So you bring something like that into it, it's a, it's a reminder of, of the violence that we have every day. And on that note... <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I want to talk about a couple more characters, but before we do that, let's pay some bills. Okay, so one of the characters that I was very drawn to in this, aside from the hotties that we've talked about, is I loved Patricia's mother. Like, I am a sucker for a crone. Anytime <laughs> there's a crotchety old purple grandma-type lady, I am just, like, going to eat her up. So I want to talk about Patricia's mother. So we're introduced to Patricia as the victim. I read it as a victim of her mother and a malevolent spirit in the house. And her mother keeps telling us, like, she's a cold-blooded murderer. She's evil. And so she seems very, like, domineering. Her mother's portrayed as a villain who hates her daughter. Although, as we find out, she's right. And she is a cold-blooded murderer. And, you know, if we had just believed her, we probably could have saved some people. Although then Frank and Lucy would never hook up. So it turns out okay. But so my question is is old lady bradley a villain as well what do we think her end game is here and just general thoughts on this fantastic crone rocco what do you think about old lady bradley the first thing i want to say up front is that i think i i love that peter jackson obviously he made his name with two horror movies i think casting d wallace and jeffrey combs in Mm. 
Uh-huh. A film of this level shows his horror credentials just because it's strange to see them in this with Michael J. Fox and Trini Alvarado. I think they're kind of like B, C tier Hollywood. Not, not in a mean way. They're just not the no, type no, of people. No, you're not wrong. You're absolutely would, not wrong. I did not know their names. So. No, yeah. Yes. <laughs> they're just not the type but of you folks didn't know you Jeffrey expect. Combs name? Oh, I did know Jeffrey Combs. I did yeah. not know uh, Trini, Trini Alvarado. But yeah, you just wouldn't good. expect to see them in, in a movie with, you know, young, fresh hot upcoming or hot talent like this anyway yeah so i i like to think that her gary oldman in dracula hair is i said the same thing i wrote the same <laughs> is a <thing>. reference <laughs> oh that is so funny i literally was just like mr burns yes and, uh, i was gonna say yes. thing, I, wait, i'm like I know counting down until jen says mr burns it has well, to be i know it's dracula and that actually happened to me at the bar recently i was like oh like mr burns and like treehouse of horrors and everyone went yeah but that's based off dracula like it's not no. like its own character it's its own and, thing and i was okay. like no it's its own thing like, it's even the best I know, one too. but i like i literally wrote she's down, definitely she's definitely giving mr burns over she's Gary definitely but I'm just or, so or I'm so glad you said Futurama, that. Because that's the yes, same thing. Yes, oh, it yeah. is absolutely. But I'm sorry that just like excited okay. me because I I love to know that we're on the same wavelength every once in that's a while. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So so it's too specific to not be a reference for me. And you know me, I keep getting hung up on hair in every episode, and that's really all my thoughts on her. That's so. your thing. That's my thoughts you don't go table. beyond sure. her hair. <laughs> Rocco, I, I thought about you. I watched Attachment this week, and there was a part where you realize that one of the characters has been wearing a wig in any of the scenes where you see her hair down. And I was like, I knew it was a wig. Rocco would be so proud of me. Wig spotting with May and Rocco. I'm not a good wig spotter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, May, what do you think about old lady Bradley? I always hated her when I was younger. And now I'm like, oh, damn, she's right. Like, she's right about everything. She loves her daughter, clearly. Otherwise, she wouldn't be letting her stay there, staying alive. I'm sure that if she didn't care about her, she didn't love her, she would have just been like, no, she helped him kill these people. She needs to be in a facility or prison or dead. And she doesn't do that. So there's a part of her that's still like, this is my daughter. I have to take care of her. I have to protect her. But that's why she keeps her isolated. That's why she doesn't want anyone coming to the house until it becomes a matter of safety for her, essentially, and until it becomes something that she realizes she can't handle herself. Mm-hmm. Sammy, what do you think? I, I thought this was, yet again, an example of Munchausen by proxy. The bruises around her neck mm-hmm. and the way she's treated as a prisoner in her own home. But by the end of the film, you see that, like, that she's dealing with this quote-unquote evil the only way she knows how to do it, by keeping her inside and away from the general public. So this is not a way to raise someone, obviously. <laughs> I, I th- like You can see there's a lot of like childhood trauma there, I think. There's a, this is like kind of an ultra-religious household in, in a not good way from what it looks like. But by the time she's an adult and like she's kind of seen what she's become, I'm f- fairly certain they said she'd only been out for like five years. And I don't think she necessarily like maybe wanted her to come back. I think she's probably on a parole type of situation mm-hmm. where like you can't leave the state. You have to be somewhere where someone's watching you kind of thing. But this, it's almost like like the person who guards the box in Hellraiser. Oh, you mean the guy who turns into a giant bone dragon? Exactly. <laughs> She's just like that. The mom kind of knows that Patricia's just too far gone at this point, and any misgivings about her parenting style isn't really like relevant at this point, I think. 
because she's an adult and as much as I've talked about her being stunted at 14, she's still, you know, an adult and could make the decision to kind of wipe her hands of the situation. So her mom sees that and is aware. She sees through the mask that she's been masking for everyone else. And that's both sad because you can tell that the mom like kind of hated her even from a young age and kind of saw through that. And maybe a lot of her trauma came from it being a really religious kind of toxic household. But a lot of people go through that and don't mass kill people. So I think that's where I I do feel for this mother, despite her maybe not winning mom of the year award. Yeah. Yeah. I'm imagining her like just living her best life alone in this creepy mansion with all her wigs. Exactly. And then her fucking daughter gets out of jail and like resurrects her undead boyfriend. And now she's got to deal with all of this shit. She walks in the room. She's like, where the fuck are all these Ouija boards from? Exactly. (laughs) She and her daughter are just like ghost making out in the corner. I said, no more Amazon packages, Patricia. (laughs) Well, all right. Let's talk about Milton. We mentioned Jeffrey Combs. I've always thought it was Coombs. Is it Combs, Rocco? Combs. I've said Combs too, but I okay. like, and I picture, I, whenever I see it, I, I picture the honeycomb guy. Ah. (laughs) Well, so we know him from Reanimator and from Beyond, and he's been in a bunch of other stuff, but I think those are Castle Freak. That's my favorite. Castle Freak. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just fucking love Reanimator. Well, okay, so we I want to talk a little bit about just Jeffrey Combs, but the reason that I have a question about a guy on this list is because he specifically has an issue with being yelled at by women. And so I just kind of wanted to get our thoughts thoughts on that. Rocco, what do you think of this character and why he is so afraid of women? It's like Marty McFly hating being called a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. He reminds me so much of Crispin Glover in this movie, too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but like sorry. creepy Crispin yeah. Gulliver and the one yes. where like he's the rats. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Willard. Yeah. Willard. Yes. Uh, sorry. Carry on, Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. so, so I, I don't really, he's like a bridge too far for me in this movie a little bit. Like I kind of agree. He's in me. a different movie. Yeah. And I'm not, that's definitely a holdover from Peter Jackson with brain dead and meet the feebles. It's two titles. I think it's Brain Dead or it's Dead, Dead Alive. Alive. It's just a bad Brain Dead and Dead Alive are the same okay. movie. And oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It just Meet depends the on the region. is his oh. other one, which is his puppet massacre. But then movie. there's also Bad Taste, which is his alien one, um, right. sort of similar to Brain Dead or Dead Alive. It's like it's like the Father Magruder character. I kick arse for mm. the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like a little too much. And it's a weird thing that's been transposed into this movie. I'm not a huge fan of Splat Stick. Like Sam Slap Raimi, stick. splat stick, yeah. splat stick, like um, like when it's splat, like gross, like, like Sam that. Raimi, like like splatter yeah. movies and slapstick oh, mixed together, I've like never, Army of Darkness. I've kind never of. heard yeah. that Portamento before. Yeah. I like that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> I learned something new every episode. <laughs> yeah, so Sam Raimi, you can kind of think of as splat stick. Early Peter Jackson is splat stick as well. This is actually probably my favorite horror movie of Peter Jackson's just because I think those elements are sort of absent and it feels a little more Mm. akin to as crazy as that sounds like Lord of the Rings or King Kong. So he's not my favorite. I think it's a very interesting character choice that he has a problem with women yelling at him. But I, I don't know how much it says simply because he has so many quirky choices going on (laughs) Mm -hmm. that I kind of wish he had picked one and stuck with it is what it sort of feels like. It's like the the women yelling at him thing might have been enough. 
but then his body is a map of pain and he's wearing a metal vest. So, yeah. and a Nazi haircut, of course. <laughs> I do like the body is a map of pain thing. I thought, I thought yeah, that my body is it was a just a fun turn of, of phrase. Yeah. Sammy, what do you think? I think it's kind of like, I looked at it as like, um, maybe there was some childhood trauma coming here. And especially if I'm looking at that as like a theme of this movie. I kept associating him with Mr. Crocker from the Fairly Odd Parents. I don't think that might age me. Not age me, but he's like, because he gets, he's basically like trying to prove that fairies are real and he like twitches all the time and no one believes him. They look exactly the same. (laughs) And and then he kind of also has like the Randall from Monsters, Inc., the bad guy, like the bad lizard vibes where he keeps just showing up and it's like you look and you're like, oh, like there he is. Because the character is very cartoony. The hemorrhoid pillow part, though. It's, it's, it's such so a strange funny. addition. It's, it's so like, yeah, funny. I like was like, oh, yeah, like that's like, oh, we're going to add this character tra- uh, like trait here, too. Actually, Megan, I can't sit anywhere. I have hemorrhoids. And he does. And he had it, had it ready to go. I didn't even know they made those things. But I think something like this that induces vomiting and anxiety to this caliber can typically be attributed to trauma in your youth. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I mean, just from what I would tell, like, I, there have been times that I've been triggered by something and you do feel like sick, kind of. I, it's obviously not to that caliber, but it does like make your tummy hurt and like you can't hear anything. It's almost like you're in like a sensory deprivation tank and all you can hear is the thing that's triggering you. Mm-hmm. And I, I wondered as well about the scars. Sorry, Jen, I forgot about that until we were watching it. As it happened, I'm like, oh, Jen, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, I didn't even notice. It's fine. <laughs> I think I'm getting better, actually. <laughs> oh, there you go. Look at this. This is so nice. Exposure really? therapy. It's exposure <laughs> therapy, yes. <laughs> I like, kind of wondered this time around, I was like, are these self-inflicted? Did, are they like residual from like something that happened to him in his youth that did cause this reaction? There's also a line where he states to Lucy, you're all the same. And he like push, like tosses her to the side, kind of leading me to believe that he has carried around this hatred for women maybe his entire life and kind of feels owed something. Either way, he's obviously very troubled. It's a very troubled character. But I do think that there's this like inherent hatred of women that most people are taught. You're not really born with like hatred towards women. I I think, I mean, I guess that goes against how I feel about, you know, Patricia and being born evil. But I do think to like specifically hate one type of like person or gender or race is usually taught. And Mm -hmm. so I do think that something might have happened to him to kind of get him to that point because there are a lot of things that I don't like, you know, like the sound of babies crying, but like I don't typically throw up when I hear Uh it. So I think it's a little deeper than that. I mean, you know, again, not to be a psychiatrist, but that's kind of the the outlook I got from that this time around. Yeah. Hey, what do you think? I mean, it's definitely an interesting choice to give him that character trait. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, again, why I said he's in a different movie. I think he works better in the third act as more of a tertiary villain than a a nuisance. Because in the second act of the movie, he's a nuisance. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he's an asshole, but he's just a nuisance. In the third act of the movie, he is a third villain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They were riding along fine on a Segway, and he comes and he's like, look, I'm a wheel also. And fine, it stabilizes it, so you're not going to fall on your face. However, he's still just, yeah, he's a little too much. And that character trait in particular is a little too much. The the first time it happens, it's weird when she yells at him in the car, 
and he like blasts the music to block her out. That time it's actually really funny. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, do we actually need this? Do we? Can't we just make him a weird asshole and he doesn't also have to He has a weird asshole, though. Well, so. yes, he, does. <laughs> he does have a weird asshole. <laughs> and it would just be nice if he could just have those other character traits and be a dick without having to specifically get physically ill when women yell at him. Yeah, I, I think I agree. And I, I agree with you, Sammy. Like, I think there's a lot more to this character that like I would like to dive into if it were in another movie, you know, if it were a book, I do think this would have been fleshed out a little more. I agree. Try like as a, like as a big time reader, I do when I watch these movies, like look at it as like, try to see how it would be as a, as a book. Uh huh. And I do think there was a lot of ideas here that maybe didn't get fleshed out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where I kind of see the nineties coming in also, because it does feel like, like a a shorthand to make him seem more pathetic. Like, oh, he's scared of women. You know, well, why would you be scared of women? Because you know they're not as powerful. And it, I, and I don't know if that is intentional. I think that's just kind of where we were in the '90s, or where the dominant culture was in the '90s. But yeah, I think I, I could lift this character entirely out. As much as I yeah. love Jeffrey Combs, you know, slash Combs, Rocco. Um, I just want to apologize to any hemorrhoid sufferers, sufferers listening. Oh, yes. Your asshole is not weird. It's not weird. I'm sorry. It's no, just, no, no, no. It's that's just okay. different. It's just different. It's just different. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking hey. about the episode of Supernatural where they're stuck in TV land and uh, the Preparation ha- H commercial. Yeah, basically. They're, in the, yeah. they're in the genital herpes commercial. Yeah. Oh, that's you right. mean it's one of the best episodes? It's such a good no, episode. No, no, no. That oh, is yeah. hands down my favorite episode. Yeah. I just it's Sam so good. going. <sighs> I have genital herpes. herpes. <laughs> oh my god, it's so fucking good. This episode should be sponsored by Preparation H. Yes. Yeah, the Lady Killers sponsored by Preparation H. Is your asshole, asshole weird? <laughs> and then we have a doctor pop in and say, "It's not weird. It's totally it's just natural." Different. <laughs> But yeah, Jen, you mentioned uh, lifting him out of the film altogether. I think May is correct in that he is an important element. It just seems like an actor with idea spaghetti to me. I don't know how yes, much of it yeah. the character was written or not, but it sort of feels like they allowed him to do what he wanted. And that's just the vibe I get. <laughs> and they no, didn't know when to pull him back. And that, as much as I love Reanimator, there is an element that is mm-hmm. a little too over the top for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I get kind of those vibes. So as again, as much as I love him and he's clearly playing the character he wants to play mm-hmm. in this, it just, it, there's just already so much happening yeah. in this movie, yeah. you know? And then when he shows up again, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> All right. Well, I got one more question. We haven't really talked about Frank too much, although we have shared our love for Michael J. Fox. My last question before we move into our next category is why are there no lady ghosts in this Frighteners crew? Rocco, what do you think? Uh, Lady ghosts are not attracted to the Frightener (laughs) business. You know, that's why they make less because they're not doing the jobs that. That's what it is. (laughs) That male Frighteners want to do. You make 70%. (laughs) The ghost wage gap is brutal. Oh That's no! True. Oh gosh! Man. Hopefully, it's gotten better since the '90s. Maybe it's gone up. Okay, There's it has one. not. 
Speaking of how many thousands of dollars does he say it's going to be to exercise the house? I think oh, like, like a thousand. Five thousand? Yeah, I think it's even like 500. Yeah, it might have been 500. It was I don't know. But it is very weird, back to the topic, <laughs> that, <laughs> that there are no lady ghosts. You just yeah. would think there would, you'd maybe want to have them. Um, I, th- exactly. Speaking Sammy's language, I'm thinking of uh, the Disney Channel original movie Scare... Fright Squad. It's, it's, it's um fucking. I put it in my notes. Oh my god. Uh, uh boo. Um, hold on, boo hold on. Crew? It is called the Scream Team. Yes, yeah, Scream Team. Yeah. They could have got the witch from um the Hocus Pocus. Kathy Najimy. Uh, yeah, I was yes, about to thank say you. they could completely swap out one of these dudes with Kathy Najimy. It would have been fabulous. The yeah. ghosts kind of look like the ghosts from that movie too, which is why it was in my notes, yep. and I didn't bring it over to, to this on when I typed them out. So you brought it up for me, which is great. <laughs> yeah, you two are like very on the same page. I know <laughs> our brains are sinking like our periods. <laughs> Only a matter of time. One of our ghosts is played by Tri McBride, who most people might know from Pushing Daisies. He is absolutely mm. fantastic on that. He's also on one episode of Psych as a character named Krieg. Not Craig. <laughs> Craig. And the other ghost is played by someone who is on the X-Files. He's not actually part of the Lone Gunman. I believe he is a competitor mm. with the Lone Gunman. Mm. I, I couldn't remember his character, and I even looked at a picture of him. I'm like, he looks vaguely familiar, but that's <laughs> it. But the last thing I want to say about this group is it's the sort of the problems that we have with the entire movie. Like, I feel like we don't really know... The Frighteners, the titular Frighteners, like these yeah. three guys, we kind of know the judge the best because he's the goofiest one and takes up the most screen time. That one line he has is, Ugh. The one where he's like, I like when they don't move or whatever. Yeah, he says, I like it when they lie still like that. <laughs> then he's like, literally in the house too, ghost. Cool. And that was not a compliment. <laughs> yeah. And then he's literally humping a mummy. Very strange. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, we don't. It's weird. It's weird. Like there's so many characters in this movie. And I feel like it's weird that we don't get more time with the Frighteners besides a few archetypal things. Like one's a nerd. One's black. Because, of course, there's an NAACP joke in there. The era, I definitely feel like it was the era too of yeah. like that, like. And one's a prospector pervert, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the gang's all here. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think like the lady ghosts just have better things to do. That's you know, what I yeah, yeah. Sammy, what do you think? Because <laughs> I was, I just wrote like I'm kind of unsure, you know, but <laughs> I think like. Perhaps, like, due to his wife dying, he didn't really want to bring anyone kind of like her or, Mm. like, a woman into the squad. Or, like Jen just said, maybe the ghosts of women are just a little too busy or preoccupied to deal with this shysty little business. (laughs) From what I could tell, it was mostly male ghosts in the cemetery, along with the um, full metal jacket, or not full metal jacket, apocalypse, or no, full metal jacket. Full metal jacket. Early army. Mixing my army movies up. I get those mixed up, too. Thank you. But from what I tell, it just seems like there, yeah, there was just mostly men in the cemetery and it kind of seemed like the female ghosts were all kind of like immediately thrust through the the portal to the afterlife. So I think maybe just like us babes get a free pass and they send us right to where we need to go. We've suffered enough and we can (laughs) just, we can go straight to heaven or maybe hell. We don't have to hang out in the cemeteries like all of the other plebes. Yeah, women, yeah. <laughs> women are always more mature than men. They're like, I'm not yeah. going to hang around here. I'm well, gonna we get, do go, go through puberty before you, yeah. so yeah. you typically. So, you know, maybe we get to the afterlife first, too. Yeah. 
I mean, <laughs> hey, at least we got a couple things going for us. You know, <laughs> hey, can I have this one thing, please? Exactly. <laughs> May, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it was just a matter of when it was made and who wrote it. You look at the Lord of the Rings movies, those are just sausage fests. And <laughs> I know that that's because the source material doesn't have a ton of lady characters. And Eowyn is an amazing character, and I'm glad that mm-hmm. she exists, and I'm glad that Tolkien wrote her. However, imagine if there were actually some ladies in the Fellowship. That trip would have gone a lot better. <laughs> mm-hmm. They probably would have smelled better. Too. Yes. Yeah. Let's give this movie its due, though. I think Trini Alvarado and D. Wallace both have a lot to do. They're both really oh, great. Oh, they absolutely do. Yeah. And their performances are both great. I'm actually surprised that Trini wasn't in more stuff. I went and looked she's at beautiful. her IMDb. I loved her. And I was like, I've never seen anything else that she's in, and she's barely been in anything else. Yeah, it seems like yeah. a shame. She's really great. But I think it's that Mia Sarah face, like you were just saying. Right. It's like, if you are, especially if you're a female actor, a woman, uh, I don't want to use the word female, especially if you're an, a lady. woman who's, yes, a lady who's an actor. If you're too similar to another actress, it's kind of actor. God damn it. It's getting late. <laughs> it's, I get it. Okay. We, yeah. it's, it's tough. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Now I know what you mean. It does feel like a not I wouldn't say this is a feminist film, but mm-hmm. there is a really strong female presence. And I do really enjoy that. It's good when, and bad, too. It, it's you yeah. get both sides. Exactly. And I, I wonder if that is why that it feels like strange that there isn't a lady ghost, because mm-hmm. it feels like ladies are pretty strong characters everywhere else in the film but yeah i think the only one you get is when the the journalist dies and yeah i always every time like the, the two times that we've watched this i always think she looks like from don't tell mom the babysitter's dead yes the, like, that's who i, I was thinking, thinking of rose her. yes yeah. like i'll get right on that rose i kept right saying that the whole time and mike was like it's not her i'm like i don't care it looks just like her <laughs> it might as well be it's like discount her and, I'm, and that's I'm the okay only female that. ghost i think besides um, maybe the mummy is a woman we don't know well, we see his wife, but she's, I yes. guess, technically in heaven. Which also begs it, like, so it's like, she he falls in love. You know, again, they mm-hmm. can see ghosts together. They have their happy little ending. But you know that your wife is in heaven waiting for you, you know? She so, like, I wonder, to be waiting for him. She could be fucking I mean, someone else. Maybe she is, or maybe not. It's like, I, that would be in the back of my head the whole time of, like, do, or, like, is she going to be mad at me? Yeah. <laughs> she's lying well, still fucking she, the judge. Yeah, there it is. There it is. (laughs) She fell in love with him, and they have the dog together, and they're in love. (laughs) Mouthing his jawbone. The the dorky ghost, like, is evidently like a real player up there. So he's getting (laughs) getting gals left and right. Born before his time. Mm -hmm. Died before his time too. Yes, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got one more question about Patricia, but it's in our next category, which is good for her. Claiming she could take it no more, the young mother released the emergency brake, allowing her car to roll backwards into the nearby lake. Good for her. This is a category where I look directly at all of our listeners who can definitely see me and say, yes, we know murder is bad. So I've cleverly called this question, drag me to hell. So the film ends with Johnny and Patricia consumed by a Beetlejuice snake monster and pulled down into hell like Tony Goldwyn in Ghost. (laughs) They may be going to hell, but they'll be together. So my question, does Patricia deserve her fate? May, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know, she gets to be with the man that she loves for all eternity. 
and they probably get to go party with a bunch of other serial killers. They're they're yeah. gonna be they're gonna be happy down there. <laughs> Sammy, what do you think? I do. I think she would like hell. I think she, she's gonna like the way she looks down there. <laughs> like, I guarantee it. Guarantee it. it. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I think this is one where I both love watching this character can see the argument that she's a victim and still thinks she deserves her fate. It's one thing to go on a killing spree, but you had to choose one of the most vulnerable places in our modern world. A hospital full of sick patients and doctors. Yeah. At least it isn't, you know, something much worse that happens today. But I still am like, you guys couldn't have, like, I don't know, like gone and shot up a, like, bad people. Like, a credit card company? There you go. Yes. Like mm-hmm. a bunch of landlords uh, yes. or something. Oh my God. Yes. Go shoot up <laughs> but, a landlord like, Obviously coalition. none of that is good, no matter what. Obviously we've stated that. But I'm just saying like <laughs> these are all like really vulnerable people and you guys chose to pick them off and I just think, yeah, you don't really come back from that. There's not really an excuse to go, well, actually, you know, there's like, I did it because of this. That doesn't really yeah. exist in this scenario. So I think not only is she going to love it, she deserves it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. You don't really come back from shooting up a hospital. Mm-mm. I don't care how hot you are. No. <laughs> Rocco, what do you think? Obviously, she deserves her fate. I just hope that they do get to enjoy hell without those little wormy things passing through their bodies all the time, because that does not or look maybe very nice. That. Maybe okay, it starts to feel good after a while. Like yeah. <laughs> maybe it's like a tattoo. It's like a tattoo. It, it's awful at first, but the endorphins kick in and ghost endorphins. I assume ghosts have endorphins yeah. in this world. They have extra endorphins. Mm. It's it's uh, snaky. I, I used to think <laughs> endorphins were some kind of chemical that were extracted from dolphins and injected into humans. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. I, like, I used to think endorphins were dolphins. I thought they were just like I in Gatorade. <laughs> no, that's electrolytes. That? That's electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> And water doesn't have electrolytes. Oh you ever seen a plant oh. grow out of a toilet? Man, Mike's going to hear that one and be like, oh, rough, rough, rough. That's <laughs> our t- tuna of the sea, chicken of the sea. <laughs> well, is oh, it no, chicken it. or is it fish? It's electrolytes. It's electrolytes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Boogie, woogie, woogie. <gasps> All right, well, let's, let's ask the question. Is this good for her horror? Rocco, what do you think? I think a little bit. They get to pump up their record. Like we're saying, she gets to be with her man in the afterlife, whatever that looks like. I, I think it's I think it's a very soft good for her horror. Soft core. Soft core. Soft for core. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think this is good for her horror, despite her being an incredible character. Like I can still I love watching her. I love this character. It's why I picked her. But it's like I've said before, it's if I can't fully back it, it's not good for her horror. I, like in the I guess the guise of what we're talking about. That isn't to say she isn't the downest bitch in cinema for a guy. I have never <laughs> seen someone like go to the calibers that she has gone through to be with this man. I think I'd be done pretty quick. It takes a lot less than that, but she is down for it. She is here for it. That's love. And she loves him. And you summon your man from the depths of hell when you love him, I guess, to that caliber. I don't know. I've not felt love like that. I don't think, but I, I mean, I, I hope I will never. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike, if we have something hell, to tell you. I will summon you from <laughs> heaven, but I am not summoning you from hell if you got there and you deserved it. But so, I, yeah, I definitely, I think she can both be really, really interesting, really fascinating to watch, and I can love her, but also not think that she is a, is a good gal. <laughs> yeah. May, what do you think? Ditto. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think I'm with you. I think... 
If she didn't kill that delightful old crone with the Mr. Burns hair, I think I would be down as good for her horror. But yeah, I just can't. I can't get down with it. But I might die for her. Let's find out in our next section called Die For Me. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. (laughs) It's really up to you. And this is a section where we give our final thoughts and decide... Would we die for her? Hence the name of the category. I'm going to start. I think I would die for her in this movie. I love seeing a young D. Wallace looking like a young woman and not so much a mom. Not that I don't love her as a mom, but as she just, she looks so Jen hot. Hates I love. <laughs> yes, hashtag Jen hates moms. Fuck moms. <laughs> no, I, she's aspirational. I just, I fucking love I agree with you about guns. I don't really love them in horror, but I do really love a lady like lugging around a shotgun. You know, she almost has like Annie Wilkes with yes. the sledgehammer yeah. vibes. Well, you and know? when she has the flashlight taped to it and she's just like pointing it around, oh, yeah. it's like it's a there's something kind of hot about that. There is definitely something hot, and I am into it. So, yes, I'm going to die for her in this movie. I'm also dying for her mother, even though she's not the nicest mom, but. And just love me a crone, you know? Hope to be one someday. Rocco, what about you? Are you going to die? As much as I love Dee Wallace and everything, I think she's great in this movie, a lot of fun. I am not going to die for her. I will die for Jake Busey, and I will Uh. feel ashamed of it, but in a kinky (laughs) way. And I'll be right there with you. (laughs) It's a shame kink way, so... Yeah, you'll enjoy the shame of dying for her. We're not going to kink shame your shame kink. Exactly. Don't kink shame a kink. Don't kink shame a shame kink. There you go. We gotta get that on some merch, you know. Uh, Adding it to the list. (laughs) Our listeners are like, "Where the fuck is all this merch?" merch. I know. (laughs) Well, while May's adding it to our merch list, that definitely will be real someday. Sammy, are you gonna die for Miss D. Wallace as Patricia? You would think someone like Patricia, who runs around like Stitch when he crash lands on Hawaii, and Lilo and Stitch, <laughs> and she literally was like that gif of like, ah! yeah. like and it's really, I, kept, I kept picturing Stitch every time she was running through the hospital. That's just where my head's at, because I love Lilo and Stitch, but <laughs> she's just a little too unhinged for me, and not in a good way. I feel like she's literally a walking, talking, I woke up and chose violence meme. Yes. And in this case, it's not a good thing. And like I said in the last section, I love watching her. I love watching characters like this. But even given this film where I might be able to come back as a ghost at the end, I don't think I would die for her. I just saw Dee Wallace since we were talking about Jacob Elordi and Austin Butler <gasps> as Stitch Elvis. <laughs> Wait, she dressed up as that? No, or Stitch, are- dress, Stitch oh. dresses up like Elvis. Oh, because, of, oh, I was, like, I was like, that's a really weird costume. <laughs> or, or maybe with her exactly as she appears in The Frighteners with her fingernail on a record player and music okay, coming out of her mouth. Okay, that's so good, too. It's so cute when he's Elvis. There's this plush of him dressed up. Oh, I want that one so bad. That's cute. <laughs> oh, so we're not talking about 30 Days of Night, but Lilo and that's, yes. what, that's where my thing, my no, mind went. Where did your fingers go? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it went to Josh Hartnett. Let me tell you. <laughs> Sorry, hey, my you mind's know never too far from. If Josh Hartnett. Hartnett isn't into butt stuff, he's missing out. <laughs> you know what? Just that, Sorry, that goes we're for put everybody. That on merch. Oh, that goes for everyone. It goes for everybody. <laughs> I really May, feel. Would you die for D Wall? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? You know, I wouldn't die for her. I also don't think I'd be 
too mad if she's the one who killed me. Mm. You know, maybe That's if she nice. like, maybe if she yeah. planted a little kiss on my cheek while she was carving the number into my forehead, I could be like, oh, thanks, lady. Aww. There's something wrong with me, y'all. <laughs> hey, th- th- I think there's something wrong with all of us, too. Yeah. That's why we're here. Yes. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, let's find out more about what's wrong with us in our last category, which is where we wrap up with some plugs. Now, if any of you sons of bitches got anything else to say, now's the fucking time! <laughs> <laughs> Some butt plugs. Some butt oh. plugs. Uh, okay. That took me a second, but wait. then I got it. Wait. Oh, it, merch idea. Intentional. Merch idea. Lady <laughs> Killer's lady butt killer's plug butt that plug. says, "Let's wrap up with <laughs> some <laughs> plugs." Oh my goodness! Can you imagine? Look, I'd a use big it. Butt plug to fit all of that on there. <laughs> hey. You know, you gotta work maybe, it. Maybe it inflates. Yeah, you know? we'll, there it we'll is. It. Sorry, it's a t- they come in all shapes and sizes. That's true. <laughs> yes. Well, if you want to follow the show, <laughs> I'm so glad. You know what? This is going to be the worst thing I'll ever say. Glad my parents aren't here to listen to these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Because woof. Oh, I you know. don't know yeah, if they went through the tunnel. You know what they could have. You know what they could be they up could. in the frighteners and listening to it now. <laughs> They're just like making a list of so everything they're going to talk to you so about it. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to follow the show, you can do that on Twitter at the Lady K Pod and on Instagram at the Lady Killers Pod. You can find me at Jen Ferratu, uh, where I will post all of the various podcasts slash writing stuff I'm doing. I just uh, published something about a lady killer, Annie Wilkes, who I love. And you can find that at Dread Central. And Rocco, where can listeners find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Rocco T. Thompson. My handle for Letterboxd and Instagram is Rosemary's underscore Gaby. Um, and I think that's all I have to plug at this moment. And Sammy, where can listeners? <laughs> oh, just at the moment. At this moment, um, but not yeah. later. <laughs> oh. oh God, oh. Sammy, okay. where can listeners find you? As always, you guys can find me at SRK Doll on Instagram and Twitter, and at SRK Doll Reads on Instagram for my Bookstagram account. I am always over on the Losers Club, running the socials. So you can talk to me on there, and then that's it, really. <laughs> that's all <laughs> and may work and listeners find you you can't just kidding i'm at everson poe on pretty much all social media that you can think of e-v-e-r-s-o-n-p-o-e you can find my music as everson poe two separate words on Bandcamp and streaming services and you can find me in your dreams. Ooh. Maybe. I don't know. Listeners, if you've had a sexy dream about me, please tell me. I would think that leave was it, pretty hot. Leave it in our reviews. <laughs> reviews. Yeah, yeah. Just five stars, please. <laughs> and I, then say I whatever better you want. not get a one-star Yeah, if it was a one-star dream, please dream. don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just keep it to yourself. Tell your therapist. Well, and speaking of that, if you liked this episode, and how could you not? We've talked about so many things, Mm -hmm. all of them mature. This is our slap happiest episode so far. It really is, yeah. If you liked this episode, please give us a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the pod. It makes us feel good. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Um, thank you so much to my uh, ghost crew of um, maybe or maybe not dead podcasters. Don't stuff us back in the trunk. 
I uh, no, never. I would never do that. Honestly, that's probably why there aren't any girls in that crew. They're like, Fuck I wouldn't that listen Trump to him thing. either. I'd be like, you can't even no. drive. Yeah, yeah. You can't You're even a blow smoke in my face. Who can't drive? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, all right. And that's our episode on the Frighteners. Jeez. Oh, we will be back next week to talk about one of my favorite characters of all time. I feel like I'm going to explode. We are watching the 1998 masterpiece, Urban Legend. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. I'm going to be bringing my PowerPoint and my candles and trying to work on my smoky eyeliner. But until then, remember, ladies and ladies, support women's rights, support women's wrongs, and... Remember to buy your Ouija board um, from a small business before you summon your boyfriend from the depths of hell. (laughs) (laughs) Sound advice.